Anderson, the time has come. The prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes. This has been actual years in the making. Actual years, plural now, yes. Years in the making. We had an idea. We had an idea. We had a dream. We dared to dream a dream. And today we've come to fulfill that dream mm. for not only us, because I'm I'm looking forward to just doing this in general. This, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, but for you, dear listeners, um, welcome to another episode of a Story Screen Presents podcast. However, today, movies? No. Uh-uh. Out. Get out of here. Throw out the fucking movies. Not today. Nope. Not in this house. Today we're going to talk about video games. The smaller screen. Well, depending depends. on what screen you have, depends on the screen yeah. you have. We'll <laughs> check me in like a month. We'll yeah, see. we'll see. Um, we've been talking about doing a video game podcast for a while. We've done a couple E three podcasts just because those are easy and we like that kind of stuff. Right. We enjoy our nerd Christmas. We kind of did it to to teach the audience kind of who we are as gamers. Yes. By the way, Jack Kaljeski, Robert Anderson. Yes. Uh, you know us from Hot Take Fame, Spice. Um, but. Yes, today, video games. Video game fame. Who we are, what we like, not just movies, also video games. We're, you know, by being a part of Story Screen, we're we're very enamored and critical and like, like to talk about storytelling. And a really great avenue for storytelling is video games. Yeah, uh, and I think what we're trying to set out here with this show, the name of which, Robert? Talking Simulator. Pretty good name. Right. Gotta give it to you, Robbie. I, a buddy of mine who I work with, uh, he listened to our E3 show, and then he like he came up with the next day. He's like, "Yeah, man, this was pretty good. That's the best name for a video game it's podcast." A very ever. good name. I was it's just a very like, good name. "I was like, yeah." I'm glad that we snagged that. It's a brain blast. Um, Copyright TM. We talk a lot about storytelling and narrative in movies when we do the movie podcast, right? That's one avenue of of storytelling. Books, another avenue of storytelling. Stage. Stage, but each of these avenues of storytelling have their own strengths and weaknesses and, and uniqueness. And I think the main core thing that we're here to talk about on Talking Simulator is how video games, as as a as an avenue, mm-hmm. can be unique in their way of telling stories. Right. So we are specifically setting out to, you know, we're going to look at some games. Maybe some of them are more more concrete storytelling. Maybe some are more traditional. More traditional. Yeah. Some maybe a little more abstract. But our idea for Talking Simulator is to just kind of d- dig deep into what makes games unique as storytelling devices as right. a, as a media. And what we're going to choose are things that we you know kind of decide are exemplary examples of that. Yeah, uh, and we wanted to start off with a big one. I Which think is why it took too this is long why it to took make a really long time. Um, don't be mistaken, the amount of time that this took is not us doing studious research. It's us. Uh, no, it's us procrastinating. It's me procrastinating. Yeah, I'll take. I, I'll I've, take the the. Well, the I procrastinate myself. I think with video games, it's hard because you know, with a movie, when you're doing your research, it's like the most you're gonna have to watch a movie is like two or three times, right? Yeah. What was that like six hours? A few hours. You yeah. know, yeah. playing some games, it's like some well, games are 10 to 20 hours, you know? The whole idea of our podcast most of the time is that we have no preparation whatsoever put yeah. into it. So, so having to do preparation took some time. Took some time. Yeah. Uh, we also, you know, we play a lot of other video games. It's, uh, you know, the 
the cool if you're in video games and you know if you're a gamer like us you could probably speak to I've the I never like that word gamer. it sucks it's a kind of it's kind of dirty if you're a video game enthusiast there you go it's a mouthful but but it's better yeah. um it's not like i have a fancy chair or anything like that i'm no, not but i see i see some of those like those streamers with their nice chairs and hate them i like the chair <sighs> you like okay, the chair that's, looks that's, comfy? that's neither here no no um no, I don't want to look like a race car driver. But well, that's, again, neither well, here. I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody in the race car seats. I'm sure they're very comfortable. As, and, as a pit boy, the sponsorship I'm very is offended. Nice. But, I don't know. Where are we going? We're we're here. Oh, well, because when, you, when you're into video games, yes. it's it's a medium, it's it's an industry, and it's a culture that's like, it's kind of about like, what's the new thing that's out? Playing that, being a part of that conversation. The zeitgeist. The zeitgeist you know, like that's... Video game movies is a lot like that, but I feel like video games is very unique because it's really all about like at the time of this recording to not to date ourselves, but I am. Spider Man comes out this week. Yes, two years for that Insomniac Spider Man game. We got this done before Spider Man. Yeah, because we want to do that. Yes. Um, God of War came out this year, and it was just like, hey, I want to play God of War now because I want to like have the the water cooler talk with with my friends. You know, and we're also both into listening to other video game podcasts. We like that discussion. We like you know kind of. Being able to participate Engage, in that right. kind of engagement, um, so it took us a while to get back through Bioshock. I we we said that right at the top. Bioshock is the game that I we're doing. I don't know if we here. did, but we're dude, this episode is about Bioshock. We are finally. We've been talking this about this forever. The first game we want to talk about is Bioshock, mm-hmm. and I think we picked Bioshock because for for me, and I think this is you know fairly well regarded across the industry. It is. Not the first to be a, a major shift in storytelling, but I, I think it is a, a definite milestone in the history of video games as far as storytelling goes. And I think it is one of the games that really took storytelling to its core and was able to use gameplay as a as a mechanic to tell a story right. in ways that other games... You know, prior to that, I mean, it was fairly early in the, the Xbox generation, Xbox 360 generation. Yeah. The fidelity definitely helped a lot. We'll dig into this, mm-hmm. but I, Bioshock to me definitely is a milestone for storytelling in games. I I completely agree. I think that's why we chose it. We we're kicking out a few ideas, which are probably ideas that we will do episodes on later. But I think with Bioshock, the world is our oyster. In the that world case. is our oyster. But Bioshock again for like the time it came out, like I think the way that uh, Kev Levine, who directed and I believe like wrote most, Ken of the game, Levine, Ken, is it not Kev? Nope. Holy shit! I'm an I'm an idiot. Yep. Ken Levine. Podcast is canceled. Fuck me. Two years in the making, ladies and gentlemen. My notes. I misspelled things. Um, to be fair, your handwriting is atrocious. It's not. Mine's not. Good. Yours much is not better, much better, but, but I should be able to read mine at least. I know it's Ken for sure. Um. Uh, kind of. I think the hurdles that Bioshock overcomes to tell a really competent story, um, in a medium where. I feel like there's almost like a stigma against video game stories where it's like, that was a really good video game story. Right. It's not like a, just a good story. It's There's always the caveat. Exactly. It's, it's like, it's really good for a video game. Exactly. You know. Um, and I mean, there's always been, there's, you know, this is kind of a tired discussion, but sure. are video games art? Can you treat video games like art? And duh. And I think you can. Um, you know, we've come a long way since Pac-Man, but... 
Bioshock absolutely, I think, is one of those games that if if you were to really try to make the strong case for video games being art and and having merit as an artistic art form. And I think the other cool thing about video games is that it, relative to, you know, books and movies, they, yeah. it is a very, very new art form. We're in it's the first hundred years. It's yeah. very much, we're in the first 50 years. Yeah. We're sure. very much in the, uh, the infancy of games as a medium mm-hmm. and it's throughout our lifetimes even, and we've not been around for as long as video games have, no. but you know, mid 20 amount of years mm-hmm. um we've seen them because i've been playing video games since i was a kid very young kid yeah i remember my first video game console was a game boy pocket and i played it incessantly relentlessly then, yeah. yeah yeah i had a, a, a nintendo entertainment system ah. we also had an atari 2600 kicking around my house but that was probably a bit after that system was actually out because it was like yeah. early 90s but um We've really been able to watch this medium grow yeah. and evolve and change. And right now, I think we're definitely in like kind of a, a the heyday, the renaissance. Now that it's become a lot more accessible and mm-hmm. and and more creators with unique ideas and unique visions can yeah. create something by themselves and kind of really get across a singular vision. Yeah, I still think there's some like lines in the sand at the moment. Still, like I think you know now that we live in an age where there's a lot of like independently made games smaller games those have a little bit more um not artistic merit but maybe more like focus well that's what i'm getting at is is and that's kind of another thing that's kind of amazing about bioshock is bioshock is what you would consider to be a triple a game the budget of this game was 25 million Mm dollars which is a pretty considerable amount of money yeah i'm quite sure it made it back in and in in spades but um, like you said, there are it's it's more accessible now to be an independent developer and with a team of three people or yeah. less, you know, there are games that are made by one person. Right. Um be able to articulate an idea, mm-hmm. you know. Um and we'll we'll probably talk about games like that as well. We're not yeah. only gonna be talking about triple A games like this. But. No, but it's good to start off with one because Bioshock kind of sets the stage for a lot of games that come after it and kind of inform a lot of games that came before it as well. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it's a culmination of a lot of games yeah. that came before it. Um, a lot of, especially first-person RPGs and and, and shooters uh, that had big storytelling focus. Right. We might come back to that, but some Half-Lives. And mm-hmm. Ken Levine, as you mentioned before, not yeah. Kev. Ken. Not Kev. Uh, I got him confused with my buddy, Kev Levine. Kev Levine. He, uh, he's a great guy, actually, He's to be really fair. nice. Yeah, he's he's really the really nicest nice. guy. One of the best guys I know. Yeah. Uh, loves games, also. Yeah. Um, he worked on games such as System Shock 2, mm-hmm. which was also widely regarded as a milestone in storytelling. Maybe one day we'll come back to an episode on that. I actually never played System Shock. Yeah, I actually haven't played System Shock 2 either, but I've heard very good things. Yeah, I know they're um, trying to remake that for a minute. Yeah, we'll see. I think but then it kind of became Bioshock anyway. Oh, or well, there's, more a, there's recently, a more there's, recent one. Yeah, too, more recently right? they're they're trying to do like a, a, a some sort of follow-up. I don't know if it's like a remake of the... I think it is actually a remake Rick of the System original. Shock 2. I can get into but, that. Um, but yeah, so Bioshock. Um, how do you let's let's start with? Okay, to you, Robbie. Hmm. What do you think makes Bioshock an example of storytelling in video game? A strong example of storytelling in video games. I think for me, uh, one of the things that Bioshock like did for me as adolescence playing it, and kind of the things that I like think back on as someone who's been playing it recently, 
uh, is its use of uh, environmental storytelling mm-hmm. and the way that, like, you know, I would consider the main character of Bioshock to be Rapture, the world that you are in during the game. And I think that, you know, environmental storytelling gets kind of taken to the next level where, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, the world around you inform the lore, but also you're finding audio cassettes and things like that. And you're being spoken to a lot while you yourself as an avatar don't have any dialogue. So you're, you know, you're experiencing... You're a visitor to this world. Exactly. And so like... You learn everything about Bioshock, and there's a lot to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Just by walking around and engaging a with it, a lot, a ton. And, and I agree with you. I think the probably the most striking thing to me about Bioshock is the just the con the t- contextual storytelling, and that, I think that's something that is really specifically unique to video games. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know when you're watching a movie, you're just seeing everything unfold in front of you. Right. Same with a book; it's kind of set in stone. But in Bioshock, you are you have agency in this world. Not only do you have choice, which we'll talk about as well. It's going to be a big talking yes. point for us at some point. But you, it's almost more like being a visitor to a museum in a way, an interactive mm-hmm. museum. You are in this world, and Bioshock to me is so such a milestone because of how fully fleshed out and how much texture and character this oh, world yeah. has. Um, you let's talk a little about a. But before we get back into the environmental storytelling, for those who don't know, first of all, going to be major spoilers. We're going to talk. Yeah, if you haven't played Bioshock and like, I don't know where the fuck you are, go, hey, go play you know, it. Yeah, not everybody's, uh, That's not true. Everybody's, so there could be some newcomers, you know? Yeah, I haven't played some could, games. Could be some people that missed. I mean, I Bioshock. I played The Witcher. So. There you go. Yeah. Bioshock came out in August 2007. So if you're someone maybe who, you know, there are people far younger than us that have not True. that might have like come up towards the tail end of the 360 era maybe even started in ps4 xbox yeah. one stuff you know um game game has aged well it has aged well and there is so i played it on pc i played it the remaster on ps4 right um and they just recently i think last year or uh the year before it last year was the 10 year anniversary of Bosch. right they just put out a remaster that includes Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite. And, and all the DLC. I think so the DLC Burial as well. Sea yep. And uh, maybe some other stuff too. Um, so, well, where was I going? Mm-hmm. This is fun. Dead air. Love it. Um, Before we go oh, into our... The, the story of Bioshock. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Um, a lot of the narrative of Bioshock happens before your character, Jack. Yes. Even... Arrives, and I think that's kind know. of the the. You're in a post-apocalyptic side world, right? I mean, that's that is or post or dystopia, really. Dystopia, yeah. yeah. That is sort of I think what makes Bioshock feel so fully realized is when your character shows up to this this place, a lot has already happened, and you are an you're an external observer, and to you this as place. the character are, have the same knowledge. Yeah, your character, which you don't learn even later, really knows nothing, and then yes. you as the player. Are playing the game for the first time, so it's, you know nothing as well. The character named Jack, hey, hey, uh, is a good proxy for it's. It, he is a good uh, audience surrogate yeah. for you, the player, because you start this game in a plane. Mm-hmm. You get a, uh, a you're unwrapping a gift in the plane. Yeah, um, and you are reading a note. It just says, "Would you kindly?" And then the rest of the the note trails off. The plane crashes. 
next thing you know, and then you're in the water and you arrive at a lighthouse. Yeah. And you come to this lighthouse and as you come into this lighthouse, you go into this, what they call a bathosphere, mm-hmm. which basically just takes you down into the city. Yeah. Big and water elevator. A big water elevator. Yeah. yeah. And and you are entering the world, the city of Rapture, which is mm-hmm. which is the city in which Bioshock takes place. Um, and I, just from a, an environmental storytelling point of view, you really go in cold without knowing, I mean... We probably knew what this game was going to be about before we got there, but I mean, when I in two thousand seven, I was like pretty young, and I played the game when it came out. Yeah, so and like, I. you know, I've had to play it three times, even wrap my head around most of its philosophies, and yeah. I still can't tell you that I fully grasp everything at play in the game. There's a lot going on, but like, you know, I think a lot about when I first played the game, and it's like, first of all, the game is scary. It is scary. It's a scary game. I mean, System Shock 2 was also a horror video game. Yeah. So there are horror elements in there. I feel like I forget, like, every time I play Bioshock, that it is a survival horror game. Yeah. That is the genre that it is. Partially. It's not just, like, an FPS, you know, shoot 'em up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of genre melding going on there. There's definitely RPG elements where you're building up your character and specking out your character a certain way. Right. But there is... There is so much atmosphere to the game that that really lends to the horror nature of Mm -hmm. it. But that opening scene, which I actually, the director's cut, the the remaster is like a director's cut as well. And there's some director's commentary in there with Ken Levine Mm -hmm. talking to um, game trailers, RIP, Jeff Keighley. (laughs) Um, And those are some pretty cool interviews. Uh, And there's also, they also have uh, the other guy in there. His name is Sean. I forget his last name, but, um, oh, Sean Robertson. He was one of the lead designers on the game as well. Mm. Um, they're talking about how they play tested the game and in the earlier play tests, people were kind of confused because you just started in the water and then went to the lighthouse. Oh, really? Yeah. So the actual, um, cutscene where you're in the plane and the plane crash lands. It's fairly new. Uh, they put that in within like a month or two of the game going gold. That's crazy. Which is crazy. That's crazy. But what they said was that... And it gives you all the context you in, need. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the playtest, people were complaining about sort of a lack of context. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to hear that that all came together so last minute because the, the events of, of being in the plane, crashing the plane, and then just making your way to this mysterious lighthouse and then going down the bathosphere into this elevator. And as you go into the elevator, that's when you first hear from... Andrew Ryan mm-hmm. and the philosophy you start to hear the philosophy of and Andrew you see it like Ryan. on the what are the, the rings that you're like going through like all good things and yeah. like that's when like the the environmental storytelling is always is happening from the beginning but also like just visual storytelling in general like your character has chains on his arms which is right, like he has a ch- chain tattoo chain tattoos on his, on his yeah wrists. and which yeah. is like going to be like huge hints to like what's happening later you yeah. know like the game is immediately teaching you what the world is or just at least showing you and giving you things to like look at and pull from. Yeah. And it, and it feels like an established place. Like you said before, you as the, as the player character are entering this world that you know nothing about because Mm -hmm. you crash landed and you're discovering what this place is as you are going into it. And I really think that sense of discovery is something that, that is unique to a game. Yeah. And that Bioshock really does well because you have the, you can take your time to, look around the world and not only what the game is showing you explicitly like like that that elevator ride where you get 
sort of the idea of of this Andrew Ryan character, right? Who is the founder, really, of Rapture? Mm-hmm. Who was a inventor, free thinker, entrepreneur who wanted he was this. So this game takes, we should say, takes place in 1960. Mm-hmm. So it's post World War II, kind of starting to get into the into some Cold War Cold War territory. Yeah. Andrew Ryan was the guy that said, you know what, fuck the government who's trying to um, place in regulations. Yeah. Who... uh, Sanction what he's doing, basically. Yep. Who wants to, you know, tax me and take away my money. Fuck the communists who think, you know, everything should be shared. And that's... As you're going down, that elevator is kind of giving you some of this philosophy. Right. Um, That is the cornerstone to rapture. And he says, you know, is the man not entitled to the sweat on his brow? Right. Um... And so you're getting some of the like context and philosophy as you're going down, and then the it's it's like on a projector, and the doors open up, mm-hmm. and you see that you're underwater here. Yeah, I have a very strong memory of being a kid and like seeing that, and because this is 2007, I was yeah. in, I was like a sophomore in high school. Must have been. Yeah, yeah. sophomore or junior in high school. So, um, we're going into junior actually it was year. summer because it was August. Yeah, so we probably were yeah. going into junior year at yeah. that point. Yeah, um, and I just. Really, like, striking the way that it, like, brings you into this world. My first, like, major memory of Bioshock is... I try. I remember I tried playing it a few times by myself. And, like, I, like, got to the lighthouse part and maybe didn't save or didn't play long enough to save. And I had to, like, do something. And then I had some friends who were, like, sleeping over that night. So I was like, oh, let's play, like, Bioshock. Let's see what this game's about, you know? So we're playing Bioshock. We get into the bathosphere. And we get into the part where the bathosphere kind of, like, unhinges and, like, crashes a little bit. Yeah. And then, like splicers are like kind of fucking with you yeah that's the first thing yeah. as you land so yeah. you're just and i remember being like I, I like didn't know this game was gonna be scary right and like i still get scared of scary stuff i'm not a i'm not a brave man <laughs> you're not by as, any stretch you're not as desensitized as no. i've made myself but uh you know like resident evil 4 still scares the shit out of me okay but uh Love that. especially we, we, at the we time we might have to do an episode on resident evil 4 that's one of my favorite games <laughs> of all time. it's a long game too yeah um, i can get through it pretty quickly i probably played through I've that never game i Half a dozen times. Damn. Yeah. Maybe I'll just have to like watch you play or something. We could play it together. Yeah, it'd be fun. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So and so my first memory is getting out of the bathosphere, feeling like kind of rushed because like someone's attacking you, and at that point I don't think you have a wrench yet. You have nothing. You, you have, have nothing. no weapons. So at you're this just kind of like running around, and then I remember picking up a wrench, looking around, and then like a spicer being like jumping out at me and like hitting him in the head. Yep. Killing him and then being horrified yeah. by what I just it's brutal. did. Yeah, and I remember like my friend being like, yo, what the fuck is this game? Because yeah. I just like brutalized somebody as hard as I could when with a wrench. When you smack somebody in the head with a wrench in that game, even in 2018, like... And at the time, like, you know, the game engine, like, you know, every time... It's like one of those like kind of like sponge bodies where every time you hit them, it just kind of like blood. Yeah. And like the blood will like stay on the corpse. And not to get like too weirdly graphic about it, but at the time... I've never seen a game it was visually so impressive. gruesome yeah. and visually impressive. It was very visually impressive. You know, like the blood had like had like a shimmer effect on it. Like it looked at the time realistic yeah. and it was terrifying. And you're the it, you know the lighting is dark. It, it yeah. is very much like a scary underwater environment. I mean, just the idea of being in a city underwater is fucking terrifying. I was thinking about this the other day where I was just like, why did anyone choose to go to this place? It's so scary. Well, we can talk a little more about the philosophy of Andrew yeah. Ryan. And I kind of wish I played Burial at Sea because I think it would have given me context as to like what the what the good times of Bioshock would have been like a little bit because that's like what it's supposed to be a little bit yeah um, Burial at Sea actually 
I guess we won't get that far if you haven't played it, but yeah. uh, it kind of like wraps up the whole story of Rapture and yeah. Bioshock and like connects it. To, we're not going to talk about Bioshock Infinite today, but yeah. it does tie all that stuff together. For today, we're just going to talk about Bioshock One. Yeah. Um, but that that like opening scene gives you a lot of context as well as to this world because soon after you hear from Paul Ryan and you get his philosophies and and Paul why. Ryan? Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Andrew Ryan. Sorry, a little slip of the tongue, a little Freudian Ooh. slip there. Um, Paul Ryan, I don't think is capable of. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to talk well of Andrew Ryan because I think his philosophies no, philosophies I, are pretty. I'll be, nasty I'll be honest. Well. I don't. I don't agree with Andrew Ryan's yeah, practices. Um, He's a bad guy. But I don't think Paul Ryan is capable of building a city under underwater. Yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, why he built Bioshock? Why he wanted to? bring all these free thinkers and scientists and engineers and artists and creators and like sequester themselves away under the sea yeah. away from the rest of the world. But you also start to, you start to get the, the darkness that, that has, this has become a dystopia, you know, that was right. his idealistic version of what this place could be. And it was for a time, but I mean, the game teaches you like what the evils of a place like Rapture would be. And yeah. it's kind of like, capitalism greed you know it's yeah, greed you yeah know? like people will inherently want more and you know uh the character that's to the opposite of andrew ryan which maybe we don't have to dive into quite yet but is fontaine and yes. you know he is fontaine embodies the rise of the lower class right. there's a there's a line where he's just like people came to rapture rapture to still like you still need people to like scrub, scrub the, the toilets, toilets you yeah. know like that's a great line yeah it's so good and it, it makes sense because it's just like well yeah like it's it's a utopian, but there's still a class system there. You well, know? okay, so I think that's another part of Bioshock. I think we'll probably talk more about the the context and environmental storytelling. I actually mm -hmm. have a few anecdotes that I, I really like, and I think part of what makes Bioshock so impressive is is, and we'll talk about audio logs and stuff yeah. as well. But um, the 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 story moments that kind of pop up. That are that are kind of to the side, you know, not the main things. Like you experience them as you go. Yeah. But to dial it back and talk about the philosophy of this game, which I think is also unique in the way that not a lot of video games, I think, get that deep into philosophy, especially no. real world philosophy that they apply in a kind of pseudo satirical way. I think we see some games that really like grapple with like simple themes that they explore like really heavily like yeah. you know like a game like the newest god of war is kind of like a father-son relationship but the dad's a god right and so it's, it's like, there's a lot of guilt in there and there's a lot well. of guilt so yeah. it's, like, it's very like kind of focused yeah um but though that's a game where you have like two fleshed out main characters whereas like in bioshock it's so it's so much more about i think philosophy i think it goes to the fact that like the game is really trying to pitch the sense of place right and by doing that like you know you don't have you have to have a lot of like, you know, it's not so much character interactions. You're having more like just ambiance and character, like just talking moments, like being spoken right. to. And, right. And it's but kind of a lot of exposition in a weird way. Kind of, but you're getting it as you're, you're kind of like overhearing this and, and seeing this kind of happen around you and yeah. seeing the fallout of it. And as you go through, you kind of are able to get little pieces of the history. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's... In um, in honor of Mike Burge, let's dig out our little philosophy corner here. Sure. Ready? Because I did a little extra research on this. So, 
the philosophy of Andrew Ryan is objectivism. Okay. So objectivism is basically the idea of the self before anybody else. It's the philosophy of the individual. Mm-hmm. And like I said, with, with Andrew Ryan, when you're going down the elevator, you, you hear him say, you know, he, he is against the government regulations. Yeah. He's against the church wanting to, you know, take their their charity right he's against the idea of socialism of of wealth being these shared around these people. things are the parasite the he, leeches of society the par- yeah exactly yeah. uh and the the main pillars of of objectivism being reality reason self-interest and capitalism okay so a lot of this idea stems from ayn rand mm-hmm. who was a writer um who wrote a bunch of novels probably her most Atlas Shrugged Shrugged and The Fountainhead are probably the two big ones. Um, But Atlas Shrugged, I think, is the one that very much uh, Bioshock is borrowing a lot of ideas from. Yeah. And um, in those same interviews with Ken Levine, he talks about the ideas of uh, how he he is fascinated by these, these philosophies. Yeah. Ultimately, I think he's, if not condemning the philosophies themselves, discussing or or trying to get into the ideas of how idealisms and philosophies don't work because of human nature and right. the way that anytime you have a very idealistic philosophy whenever you apply try to apply it to He's human using beings using this objective this objectivism as one philosophy to kind of tackle but it's to illuminate the kind of like the death of all philosophies because of human nature. Yeah, in a way yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Um so Ayn Rand, in her book, Atlas Shrugged, wrote about this guy named John Galt. He, his big idea was that he rejected the government and... He wanted to make a sea house. He wanted to make, yeah, I think it was Galt's Gorge or something like that. Uh, But some kind of sequestered land. Yes, he wanted to gather up all his free thinkers, inventors, creatives, his buds, his his smart... All the smarts, Mm -hmm. all the intellectuals, if you will. Um... And make this libertarian paradise where there's no taxes, there's mm-hmm. no regulations, it's completely laissez-faire. Yeah. You're free to invent whatever you want. And and the idea of the individual before anyone else um, is king. And sure. you even get that in the first moment when you're in the, the lighthouse. You see the big statue, no gods, no kings, only man. Yeah. And that statue of Andrew Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It, Rapture was built on this principle, and and Ken Levine took a lot of those ideas from Ayn Rand. Andrew Ryan is more or less a anagram of Ayn Rand. Right. There's a couple extra letters in there, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it, you can make it. Uh, no. Some we are no. There's no W. In, yeah, we are Ayn Rand. Oh, is that Andrew Ayn, Ryan? Ayn Rand. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um. So he takes these ideas and builds the city underwater sequestered away with yeah. all these free thinkers and inventors and doctors and engineers right. and artists all that stuff um and you see how when you get there it is in complete ruins right because of this idea of just rampant self rampant ca- capitalism eventually collapsed under its own weight mm-hmm. because of what you said before uh greed or no well 
within that structure, there's going to be classes. Right. Because, there, yeah, exactly. A class system starts to form there. Yes. Um, and that's where the idea of Fontaine comes in. Right. Fontaine being the... Fontaine and, and also Atlas, who turns out to be the same Students person. to be one of the same. Right. Um, but you... And that's the cool thing about Bioshock is you learn all this, like... You can get as much of the storytelling as you want as you go through the game. You don't have to, like... You have to pick up a single audio, audio book, audio or what is it called? Is it audio, audio log. Audio log. Yeah. You have to pick up a single audio log, but like that. Which we should say you want to talk about audio logs really quick. I mean, they're great. Well, just in general, like set them up. So okay, so audio log. You want me to like explain what audio? Log yeah, is I mean, we haven't the, even mentioned what the audio logs are, which I think was like a unique thing to Bioshock. To Bioshock, and they can be done. I think so. In my opinion, they can be done right or wrong. But an audio log is. It was a, an influence that the Bioshock had on the gaming industry. Is audio for logs. sure? Yeah. But uh, well, audio logs. I think in like a basic sense and across like multiple games is basically uh, a piece of lore found in the environment of a video game that is like kind of a pickup and then you can uh explore like listen to that lore read that lore in the case of audio it's an audio but like a it's lot a of times di- it's an audio diary yeah and like yeah. you know you could a lot of times games have things like you know like codexes or journals uh if you ever played mass effect there's like a whole section of the game that's just an encyclopedia that of that world is deep and it's and it's cool and that's like another example of i think it working well but the cool thing about bioshock is that you find these audio logs throughout the environment, and then you pick them up and you just hold it down, and they play in the background As while you while stuff. you play the game, yeah. which is great because the bad way to do it is when the game stops and it's just like you want to listen to this. Yeah, it's like, I do. But you I have wanna... to stand here and listen to this. I'd rather just play the game. Yes. So yeah, I agree. Bioshock very very smart in the way that. They'll play as you go do the rest of the, right. the game. Sometimes um, glitches happen where well, like someone like Atlas is talking to you, and also you're trying to listen to like Doctor Shushong like yeah. say something. You're like, this is not right. Well, you can also replay the audio logs, which I did. Down eight. Yeah, yeah, so did I. But a lot of the times, I would just those like security drones would come out of nowhere and make. Maybe I think the most in, my least favorite noise in the universe. I by the, the end running of, by the end of that game. I hated all the security yes. robots in there. It's yes. horrible. They are not your friend. They're not your friend. I also don't think that they're like the best design part of that video game. Um, but we'll get there. Well, I think we're almost done uh, hashing out the philosophies. But yeah, I think what's interesting about Bioshock is you're at the same time learning how this place came to be, mm-hmm. the philosophies that it's built on. And I think there's a lot of really interesting themes in there that Bioshock is trying to deal with with the idea of unmitigated capitalism and class structure yeah. and I also the way feel like that- it's um it's unbiased in a lot of ways. Like I don't think it's really trying to like sway you to hate anything. I think it's like kind of I think the thing that it's most critical of mm-hmm. because I don't I think you could read it as a condemnation of the um objectivist mindset. Sure. Which I think a pure objectivist mindset is also a pretty dangerous thing. Right. But uh, because it just destroys any sort of empathy, mm-hmm. um, which is a necessary, I think, to a functional society. Yeah, being humans, yeah. Um, but I think the thing that it's condemning more than anything outright is just the the aspect of, of human nature. Yeah. And that is where the collapse of, of rapture comes from is... It's from the people. Well, really, from it comes, the people by the people destroy rapture. Yes, you know? pretty much. And really, that comes from the other thing that we haven't mentioned about Bioshock, which is a pretty big aspect of the story. Adam, Adam, and 
the the methods of Adam implants. The, dis- which is, the discovery of this stem cell yeah, which miracle is a thing. Pretty good way probably to get into talking about the more um like mechanics of this game. And how about, I mean there's there's, there's, a, also... there's a philosophy to Adam as well. Yeah. And like, you know, like I think Adam is much more of an allegory for um like at the time when like stem cell research and yeah. things like that were kind of hot button political topics. Well Ken Levine says himself that he was very interested in the idea of stem cell research right. and kind of the um uh, the controversy of 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 stem cell research, you know, yeah. and uh, and if there was no sanctions on that in an underwater city, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what 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 happened? What would you get? Um, so Adam is this material that was discovered in did sea we, did, we, did we finish objectivism? Because like, I think we'll come back to it. Okay, sure. Um, I but I I think I it's think the most the most interesting it. thing to that I think. Bioshock is doing with it is it's it's dealing with that stuff mm-hmm. in a way that you don't usually see games do. Absolutely not. I can't think of another game that is so invested in like kind of dissecting a philosophy. Yeah, um, definitely. Even of modern examples, I don't think so. Not as direct. Yeah. Um, but you know, just more more the idea of human nature as well in there, right. and and the idea of Adam being this, and, and it it incorporates the idea of capitalism and unregulation, right? And then genetic modification and yeah. all these. Well, Adam is is kind of like a, it's a catch all kind of like godsend biologically in the world of Bioshock. Yeah, but it also is narratively um, yes. in the world of Bioshock. Well, it's also drove a huge part of Rapture's economy right as well um do you want to explain what adam is sure i want to start by saying when i first played the game i did not have a good grasp on what adam was like tangibly what it did and what it was now i think i get it yeah but but take it away there are two hour youtube videos on this so we're gonna try not to go i don't want to do that (laughs) um how's it found so they uh actually pretty interesting story adam (laughs) was discovered when a fisherman discovered one of these sea slugs, mm-hmm. he had a crippled hand, and when he caught the sea slug, and this is on Rapture. The so Rapture was built, and Adam was not discovered yet. Right, right. Yeah, Rapture. Uh, Adam was the thing that came after Rapture, Rapture. Uh, yeah. existed. The sea slug bit this fisherman's crippled hand, and within a couple days, the fisherman figured out that like his his hand started to he started to get um, mechanics back in his hand. He was yeah. able to use his hand again. And what they discovered was the sea slugs produced this chemical that was basically like a stem cell sort of material that allowed genetic Repair. change yep. in a person. So eventually this this a desire for this chemical came up because they discovered that it could endow basically superhuman properties. And that... When becomes, modified and, you know, tinkered with. Right. Well, yeah. they, they modified this pure chemical of, of atom, tinkered around with it, and discovered you could do things like produce electricity with your hands. Or make and, a fireball. Or make a fireball. Or make bees swarm on people, which, which is, is, becomes a, the mechanic of the game where yeah. your superpowers come from atom, which is this material that's a resource that is ingrained in the economy of Rapture yeah. and also the thing that made more or less the thing that brought the downfall of Rapture. Right. Uh, because when you do too much Adam, it's addicting like crack. Right. Yeah. And it also is because it was unregulated because mm-hmm. that's a 
core tenant of of uh, Rapture. Of Rapture, people were just using it like crazy, and there it was dangerous. Yeah, and nobody really realized so then, how dangerous this. How? how gee, you think who would fucking, fucking with your genes like that might be dangerous? Who would have guessed? But let so, me let me walk. I wanted so I, I'm not, back I'm not here? confused, but I want to talk about. I want to see if I have the have that right. Okay. Uh, Doctor, uh, I forget her name, but she Tenenbaum. Doctor Tenenbaum. Yes, does most of the research on Adam. She kind of creates. She kind of figures out the medical ways to use Adam. There are a few players in this. Then there's so let me let me like get through it and then you can kind of correct as we go. Then okay. Fontaine skits control of most of the atom, and then he's kind of the one who starts distributing it. Okay. The first part is okay. that the the seek slugs were discovered. Right. I think it was Doctor Sushong actually is one who did discovered a, a them. De- no, he didn't discover, it, but he was one of the leading researchers. Okay. Um, for what you could do with Adam. Hmm. Um. They and there was one other doctor in there whose name is slipping Steinman? my mind. Yeah, yeah, Stein. You fight him though, don't you? Yeah, at some yeah. point. Yeah, because he's like the, he's the plastic surgeon. Yes. Yeah. They basically discovered that you could do all these things with it, create superpowers. Mm-hmm. But the problem was that the slugs, the sea slugs that it came from, didn't produce enough. Exactly. What Doctor Tenenbaum discovered was that if you implanted the sea slugs in the stomachs of young girls which part of this mechanic came from um this idea that ken levine and the team always wanted a this dynamic where you had a collector or a harvester which was with a protector which, which was the the vulnerable thing with a protector mm-hmm. and then you as a player are taking the resource from the thing you're defeating the protector to take the resource from the collector. Yeah. Right. The harvester. So Tenenbaum did research where she figured out that if they put these sea slugs in little girls stomachs, they could produce 20 to 30 times as much atom as by, the slugs by themselves. By like regurgitating it. Right. Or. Um, so yeah. So they basically the, you know how they have, so they, they have the these, gun. these little, little girls mm-hmm. walk around with these big, Needle guns. Yeah. They stick them in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, dead bodies. Right. Of of the splicers, which we talked about, which were just people who are addicted to Adam. Or right. Or who have taken a lot of Adam, have spliced themselves, have they're, changed their they're DNA. They're like gene junkies, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And usually they've gone crazy because they can't get their hands on any more Adam to keep their, like... They become dra- drug addicts. And they, right. when they go into withdrawal, they'll kind of do anything they can to get it. And they lose their minds in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also part of the downfall of what destroyed Rapture. Right. Uh, so they, the little sisters inject or take their needle and suck out like Adam from, from corpses. From corpses. And I don't know if you ever noticed this because I noticed it pretty late. But on the, the back of the needle gun thing, mm-hmm. it's basically a nipple. Oh. So they would drink it. So they take it into their own body. Oh. Which is why you have to actually like harvest the Yeah, they take it from the little sister. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So what they did, and I think this was where Sushong came in um, more so, he was more in charge of um, creating the big daddies as protectors for these little girls. Mm -hmm. It also turns out that the little girls, because they have so much atom in their body and because the, 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 the narrative reason that the little girls... 
um, uh, that it has to be little girls is because their DNA, because they're still growing, their DNA is more pliable. Oh, okay. And also <clears throat> because they could be mentally trained. This was all part of it too. This was mm-hmm. something that Fontaine they could be with conditioned Suchan and T- Tenenbaum yeah. conditioned them to just go around and collect the atom. Yeah. Um, so then they genetically modified these big guys to be the big daddies right. who are protecting the little sisters. They are on the cover the of the video game. Yes, they're kind of that's the kind of the main. Their mascot, pretty much. It's, yeah. it's like the main. Like it's a big guy in a diving suit. Yeah. Um, it's like the main kind of core gameplay element to this game is you have plasmids, which are superpowers. Mm-hmm. You go around, you find these big daddies who are rock, walking around with little sisters. Yeah. You have to fight the big daddies, mm-hmm. which is always, at least for the first like two thirds of the game, is a usually a big endeavor. I think it's at a certain point it becomes a little more, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes a lot easier, but the first think. two times when you see one, I mean, it's kind of like... You don't have to... The big daddies won't fight you. Right. Unless you fight them. Yes. Unless... And if you get too close to them, they will... They... they if they'll, you get too close to the little sister, they'll they freak will fuck out. you up. Yeah. yeah. You uh, can, like, run into them. They're kind of just, like, shove. They'll just kind of shove you yeah, away. But, yeah. But, like, it's not until you engage them. They're just like, all right, dude. Like, you and they're wanna, scary. You fight? They're terrifying. They're very scary. I mean, did you... So, before we recorded, I actually watched the, uh, the first trailer for Bioshock. Do you remember this trailer? Remind me. I probably it's, remember seeing it at E3 fucking, back in the day. It's fucking sick. Yeah. So the way the trailer starts is, it's like you're in bio, you're in a rapture, and you're like it kind of cuts through a waterfall, and then you it's you're cutting behind this man's head, and then you cut into his POV. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's kind of like a, a shot that like kind of like zooms Goes in on the back, the back of his head, head, and then it's like in his eyes. Uh-huh. So you're thinking like this is the main character in the story, right? right. You're, you're being Jack. Presumably, before we even know who Jack is, this is the protagonist. Yeah. So then Jack's like, or you're the POV, the the main character in this trailer is like, like picks up a wrench, is kind of like fiddling with it, and there's like a little girl who is a little sister going into her tube, uh-huh. and he like grabs her and yanks her out. So you're kind of thinking like, and so I'm re watching the trailer like today, and I'm like, I forgot. I was just like, oh, it's kind of weird that you're portraying you as like this like weird like harvester of Adam right so he grabs the girl and he's about to like fucking you know do, do something kind of fucked up I think he has like a, like the the Adam gun in his hand yeah and then the big daddy comes out of nowhere oh knocks he... your ass so okay, he knocks yeah. your ass on the ground and he starts and then he like he's beating the shit out of you and then the big daddy shows his drill through your hand and you're blocking it yeah he drills through your hand this. and then he kind of like leaves you for dead and then you uh take a plasmid and it's the bee plasmid uh-huh. so it heals your hand completely and he starts throwing bees at the big daddy and then i think it it ends with you know you fuck up the big daddy a little bit and i say you mean again the the pov of this character right and then the big daddy like gets pissed and just like drills you to death i do remember that the like Sp- getting the drill in your chest basically right. and, and it seeing was, it just the blood it was go just everywhere. wild but yeah. i think the coolest thing about the trailer is that it's from the perspective of a splicer yes and I think that's like kind of the most interesting thing, and I think that kind of goes into like my kind of like thesis on Jack not being the main character of Bioshock, but Rapture being the main character of Bioshock, and then like kind of leads into the bigger player agency discussion as well, right? Um, which I think we're still talking about Adam. But. Well, I mean that that goes hand in hand with the idea of player agency because the they pitched Bioshock as a game about choice. Mm-hmm. And the main choice that you have as a player in Bioshock is 
um, all around these little sisters that have the atom, which yeah. is your player currency to upgrade your powers. Do you harvest the little sisters? Take as much as you can. Which basically kills them, but it, it you'll get more atom immediately. Or do you rescue the little sisters? Which gives you some atom, but keeps them alive. Keeps them alive. It, it saves them, but yeah. you get less atom. I think in the long run, though, like they give you gifts all the time, too. Yes. It's really more incentive to not kill them. Every time you... Which, to be fair to the game, I think they should have not showed their hand as quickly. I agree. Um, because to really actually make this a impactful player choice, you should, if you're doing the right moral thing, you should get less Adam. Right, the game, the the game should be the like game more difficult. Yeah. I think what actually winds up happening is if you rescue all the little sisters, which did you rescue every one of I them? I got the good ending. Did you get all of them? No. I got all of them. There was, I got to the end of the game, there's a few where I was like, I don't feel like fighting another big daddy. I got that Chivo, man. I got every single one of good. those little sisters. Good. Um, you're good. You're a good daddy. Good boy. Um, you you do wind up getting more Adam, I think, in the long run by right. saving them. Because every three little sisters that you save, you get a, you a, get package, a package from of them. Adam. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of leads to whether you get the good ending or the bad ending, whether you harvest them or not. Yeah. So that's like the main, like, the main idea of player choice in Bioshock, which a lot of people talk about the idea of player choice in Bioshock and morality. Mm-hmm. But I think the real commentary of Bioshock is actually, and this is kind of the cool meta commentary that Bioshock presents, is here, you're a player, you have agency in this world. We're going to give you this choice whether you harvest the little sisters or you don't harvest the little right. sisters. That's kind of your your big moral play in here. But really what the game is saying is actually the lack of player agency yeah. in this game. I mean, the whole game is about how you, as the player, have no control over the game. Right. Because you, the minute... Your you, main objective. Your main objective is, would you kindly do such and such? Right. So the, the minute you land in that bathosphere and you see the splicer, you get a phone call on the radio from this guy named Atlas. Right. Who you find out is actually the, the guy who goes up against Ryan. He's kind of leading this class warfare against mm-hmm. Ryan. He's gathering the splicers and, and trying to like take over this upper class that he's has... The, he's the gangster of Rapture. Basically. Yeah. Well... He, Atlas is more the freedom fighter. Fontaine is the gangster. Sure. I guess that's what I mean is Fontaine's the gangster. Yeah. But, but two they, sides of the same coin. Exactly. They yeah. wind up being the same person. Right. Um, you are following Atlas's suggestions. A, first to save his family. Right. And B, to take down Ryan. Because Ryan is 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 kind of the big bad of this game. And they're always to, kind of fighting towards. And then to pull it back, again, to get like kind of meta with it. This is not different from most video games. Pretty much. I mean, you most get video this, games, you have an objective, a waypoint. You go do it. You have somebody in your ear saying, here, go this, yeah. go here. Because that's that. the point of the game. Right. You're playing the game to play a thing. The, the it's idea, fairly linear in that way. I mean, exactly. It's, it's constructed of, you can travel back and forth between the levels. It's, but a, there it's is, almost like a Metroidvania in that sense where there's some backtracking. Uh, a little bit. A little but bit. there's not like, you know... It's not a maze that you get like power ups through. There's no like power up gating in there like no. a Metroidvania would, but like you are progressing through these levels mm-hmm. one at a time. You're it's kind of cool the structure where like you have these different places and each of these places has its own story to tell yeah. within it. 
Um, you know, you have Arcadia, you have the Sander Cohen, Fort Frolic. When you get area. to like Andrew Ryan's neck of the woods, it's like in a volcano underwater. Yeah. Like it's like it's like built on molten lava. Right. It's sick. And you even see like the class disparity within right. like, you know, the environments where you see the upper class where there's like bars and things like that. Right. And then when you get into the slums where Fontaine's from in the later parts of the game, like people are being hung on the streets because like Andrew Ryan was getting fed up with their shit and the war was getting really bad. Right. <laughs> and that's the kind of like to go back to the idea of contextual storytelling, as you're going through all these places, they, it's just dripping with atmosphere and stories, little yeah. micro stories to tell as mm-hmm. you go along. Um, I mean, they have like recordings from characters who don't have like any like you know, some of the the voice recordings you pick up or, or the audio logs you pick up are from like fishermen. Yeah. Talking about being like, hey, that Fontaine fellow's really doing something crazy, huh? And right. Like, it's it, great. It, it feels like even though this is a place that is dilapidated and only really the only mm-hmm. sane people that you can actually talk to are pretty much Atlas and, and Ryan yeah. and Tenenbaum, really. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. Everybody else kind of lost their mind and become a, a junkie monster right. person. Um, it still felt like this used to be a place that was lived in that had real people and those audio logs and, and kind of this the story of what happened here is done right. so well in the environment. One of my favorite, before we actually get to the big player agency moment, I know right. we we're building up towards that. Yes. One of my favorite stories was uh, Jasmine Jolene. Did you get any of this? Uh, it's been a minute. You and I have played these games in two different time frames. <laughs> yeah. So for, uh, fill me in. Okay. Well, I mean, to give context there, oh, we, like we said, this is like, Two years in the making. Right. The last time I played, the save that I loaded earlier this week to finally finally finish this yeah. game was from September of so 2017. Where were, where were you in September of last year? Uh, where, did you, where did you pick up the game when you started? Um, so I picked up the game when you are in the Eve's Garden. So is that the farmer's market area? Yeah. Okay. Where the... the so that's like know, very... That's middle point of the game. A little Maybe before. A little... I would say like at the end of the first act. Sure. Because you less. still have to fight Sandra Cohen. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it's probably end of the first act. Um, and then for me, I picked up the game and I was like... Third act pretty much. Right? Yeah. I, I just... I had to do... I got into the game and I still had random plasmids. Right. So I had to do uh, okay. that, and yeah. then I had to basically make myself a big daddy and beat the game. Fun. We'll come back to that. <sighs> I think the the latter, when we take a break, we can come back and talk about mechanics of the game and stuff that we love and stuff that we oh, not as much. Um, and how time works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but Jasmine Jolene is a character that you meet when you are going through the apartments. Um, mm-hmm. It's when you... Uh, no, that was... That was what is the name of the place? I think I wrote it down. That I think is actually called Eve's Garden. It's like okay. a, um, it's in this like the the, the when you're actually going to Fontaine's apartment, like mm-hmm. along the way, you kind of discover the story of Jasmine Jolene, which it turns out was Jack's mother. Yes. Okay, yes. I do. I remember listening to some of her audio logs. She's like, "I'm pregnant," and like Andrew's gonna be so mad because yeah. she's Andrew Ryan's like girl, kind of. Mistress. Mistress. I actually okay. don't know if they dive into... Too much of that. If he has a wife or not, like an actual wife, but she is definitely like he has an affair with her, whether right. it's extramarital or not. Like, mm-hmm. she was his kind of side piece sort of thing. Right. Um, and it's this really tragic story that you get um, in sort of the... There's like ghosts that you can see. Right. 
Um, which is an effect of like because plasmids are made from atom, which comes from corpses. You right. Get kind of you kind of phase in and out of seeing what the lives of these people were like. Well, there's like genetic memories yeah. in the atom that you're absorbing, so that's kind of there's like one, the story there's one audio log where someone's just like, and now I'm seeing ghosts. Yeah. Raptors just getting crazy, crazier and crazier. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like I would have killed myself. If well, that most of them did. Yeah, it's true. Um, so <laughs> I guess this kind of comes hand in hand this story with where we're actually going with with Andrew Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we should tell the story of Andrew Ryan first and where you're actually going with that before I come back to this anecdote. But, if you have a way you want to tell it, I can get down with that. Well, I, I think where we're going is this idea of player agency and the lack thereof yeah. comes to a head when you actually get to the point where you're going to kill Andrew Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, because Atlas has been in your ear the whole time. This Andrew Ryan guy, he's a bad guy. Yeah. He is he is responsible for all the strife in, in Rapture. He is... He is in control, he's the bad guy. He's the bourgeoisie that you're trying to take mm. down. You finally get to his office, and just before you get into the, help me jump in here, right, telling right the before story. he gets. So you're in a you're in a vent. You're crawling through this vent. You're yeah. crawling through the vent. You're doing your thing, and you know, to kind of maybe help put this in perspective. I'll talk about like where I was emotionally during this part of the game, okay. even when I played it recently. Yeah, I remember being like. I got it. He's the main, he's the big bad. I got to kill this guy. He has done all this shit to Rapture. He caused all this strife and all these things. Which is true. Which is true. In a way. So you're getting there and then you fall through the vent. Yep. And then you land and there's a big wall filled with pictures and written in red is, would you kindly? Yeah. So that's the big like twist. This is the twist of the game. And that's, narratively, that is one, that is I think the thing that really a lot of people. Sticks with you. With Bioshock. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the thing about Bioshock that makes it Bioshock. Because the end end of the game... We'll get there. Super underwhelming. We'll get there. But this is kind of like the true like narrative focal point of the game. Yeah, and it's... Hey, it's a good fucking oh, twist, it man. Hits. And it, it and hits. It hits hard. It, it is a key element to the meta narrative that they're telling as well as far as player agency in a video game yeah. goes. And leading up to that moment, you find the audio log where it's like uh, Dr. Suchong is telling you to... Kill that puppy. And you hear you, Jack, being... You, Jack, being Me. like... I did it. I'm uh, sorry. Sorry, I didn't want it. You didn't want to kill the puppy. That's the thing. You're like, I don't want to kill the puppy. It's like, would you kindly kill that puppy? And, and as we you, mentioned before with the little yeah. sisters, they have messed with this idea of mental conditioning. Right. So what you find out is you, as a player character, someone you thought had nothing to do with Rapture before You're you got avatar. here... Yeah. Yeah. Was actually the son of Andrew Ryan... The illegitimate biogenetically enhanced son. Yes. Well, you were, and that's kind of where Jasmine Jolene comes in. Is mm-hmm. she was your mother that had a um, a relationship with Andrew Ryan? He got her pregnant. Mm-hmm. She was an exotic dancer, and she became kind of dependent on Andrew Ryan. She wanted to break her dependency from Andrew Ryan, but she didn't have the financial means to do so. Right. So she turned to Doctor Sushong and Tenenbaum who offered her money to take the unborn child. And that's where they got Andrew Ryan's unborn child. And Fontaine facilitated all of this so that that was kind of his ace in the hole that he would use to overthrow Ryan down the line. Why would you need someone to be Andrew Ryan's son to come back into Rapture? Because everything's kind of coded on Andrew Ryan's DNA. The Vita Chambers that you use, the reasons that you can respawn so much... 
But that's another element of gameplay. Well, we'll talk about that later. Maybe, sure, but you know. I mean, it all kind of ties back to like you know the reason you can have access to certain doors, the reason you have access to certain things in the game is because you're kind of a genetic match for Andrew, who is who has coded everything in Rapture to be yeah. open at his genetic touch. Exactly. Um, but what you find out when you go into this office with Andrew Ryan, and what you start to kind of get the inkling of what the game is starting to tell you, you as don't you have so much there, control of your actions. Is that you don't have any player agency. Everything yeah. that you've done so far is because someone told you. A, because someone told you to do it, and that's what you're conditioned to do in video games. Is and then B, your character in the game is conditioned by the phrase "Would you kindly?" Right. "Would you kindly?" is the trigger word or trigger phrase that makes you. After that, you do whatever the next thing is. Right. Um, so it's this kind of big moment. I think the the biggest moment of Bioshock where it all comes to a head and you realize that you've been tricked by Atlas, who is actually Fontaine. Yeah. And everything that you've done, you have is because you were hypnotized and genetically conditioned to do everything yeah. that he says. I mean, the beat by beat moment of like how they really like hammer home this idea is that Andrew Ryan's playing golf. You enter the room. You kind of I think you like push him down, kind of. Or he he gives you the, he no just he, gives it to you, he right? gives you the golf he club he gives you the golf yeah, club yeah you don't attack him until he says something to yeah you. so he gives you the golf club and then he's just like would you kindly kill me right, right and right. Then, and then you have to and then you have to hit the button to hit him in the no you head. don't no you don't he actually. just does it yeah it's kind of like they take control away from okay. you at that point you don't so actually, then you just like, and that's the point is you don't have the choice you don't have the you agency have to kill Andrew it Ryan. just happens like yeah. you just start hitting him with the golf club. And he's saying, you know, even in this last moment, Andrew Ryan is like staying true to his philosophy that a mm-hmm. man chooses and, and a slave, slave obeys, obeys in that he chooses his own death. He's the one that tells you to do it. Right. He maintains, he's very stubborn. Even like, oh, yeah. no, I don't think he wants to die. He wants to choose. He knows he's going to die anyway. So he knows saying, that Rapture's, Rapture's you sunk, can't, You, you know? can't kill me by your free will. I'm going to tell you to kill me. Yeah. And he uses that trigger word against you, but it's this whole, it, it comes to the head of the, in the narrative that you as a player have not, you don't have a choice to not do any of this, you know, yeah. aside from putting down the controller and <clears throat> stepping away from the game. The only agency you have is to not play the video game. Yeah. But like that shit was 60 bucks. You're going to play that. You're going to play through You're going to play through that game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's a cool, I, I think that's one of the coolest things about Bioshock is how it is self-aware of this player relationship in a video game where they can give you the illusion of choice by saying, Oh, well you, you can, you know, either harvest or rescue these little sisters, but ultimately everything that you do in the game is because we have designed these tracks for you to go down. And really you don't have a choice of what actually goes down. I mean, I don't even think that like Ken Levine, like necessarily wants to make a shooter video game, but like that is what sells. You know, like those yeah. are like what makes money. I think he definitely was interested in, in making it more fleshed out. That and we'll talk about the mechanics yeah. after we take a little break here. But I I think the 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 coolest part about Bioshock and the reason that we wanted to do Bioshock first yeah. is the way that all of these things that we've been talking about the environmental storytelling, the deep philosophy, mm-hmm. the characterization of the environment and also all the people that used to exist in it and the, the contextual environmental storytelling and also the, the story being part of the narrative and this idea of being hypnotized and, mm-hmm. and following everything that, the, that Atlas, the narrator, kind of tells you to do, right. being tied to this idea of a lack of actual player agency just makes this cohesive storytelling 
that I think you can really only pull off in a video game. Absolutely. That story beat doesn't work unless you're the one holding the controller. A book can't... And again, I'm not saying don't read books. Robert Anderson's... Read books. Robert Anderson's not standing on this pedestal <laughs> being like, don't f- put the fucking books down and play Fortnite. Well, this is not what, what I'm saying. is... We're saying this is... This is this this is this is the medium flexing. This is the yeah. flex of the medium. Absolutely. This is video games can tell a story where video games can take away player agency. And I think this kind of goes back to like a really big video game movies don't really don't work. really work. No, because you're playing as character. The thing, the difference is you're, when you're playing a video game, you are Laura Croft. You are. The Assassin's Creed Origins. You get to fall off that house, or you get to climb that mountain, or yep. you get to mess up that shot, or you get to ace that shot. When you're watching a movie and Laura Croft is like kicking the shit out of people, it's not as cool as when you're Laura Croft kicking right. the shit out of these people. In a game like Bioshock, you can't have the the would you kindly moment. Yeah, literally can't. It could happen. On you a can page. tell that story. You can tell that story, but the the connection that it builds with you, between you, the controller, and the TV, right. that's a unique experience. Right. Yeah. And I think it all, Bioshock really, I think in the end it falters a little bit, but it definitely up because until that I point. I think because the problem is at the end it turns into such a video game. Yes, it does. And we'll get there. We'll yeah. talk about that uh, after the break. But it all of these pieces really come together in a way that is... Is something that you can only do in the medium right. of, of video games. And like, you know, there's there's a lot of mechanics in the game, which, you know, from shooties to throwing lightning bolts to doing, to hacking machines and all that stuff. And all of that also fleshes out the game and all those mechanics are good, but it's just kind of like what we're talking about from like a story perspective is Bioshock is such a unique it's very unique it's well, so unique that even the games after it can't really touch it you know well i think it definitely set a high bar yeah um that is you know i'm not going to say has never been surpassed but it's definitely like it is a moment in in the history of games right. that is important i can uh, only think of one definitely other, influenced a lot of stuff down the line i can only think of one other game moment which i don't want to talk about because i think we're going to do an episode on it okay where there's like a a pillar player agency is kind of stripped from you and it's kind of like you gotta do this bad thing. Yeah, and you're like, I don't want to do that. It's like, there's, no, but you, there's you a couple I can think of. Yeah, there's a couple I can think of. But I even think, you know, to your point about the mechanics, and we'll we'll talk about mechanics later. All the mechanics, and we talked about plasmids and stuff like that. Like yeah. that also ties into the narrative. You Absolutely. don't just have superpowers. There's a reason you have superpowers. And not only is there a reason people you have, have combustion so they could light cigarettes, and then it turns into like this thing you throw at people. Like, well, yeah, but also like the the superpowers that you have is also the reason that this place is a dystopia and right. is falling apart, and it, you're you're fighting all these and like you monster people. You yourself are splicing yourself into a monster. Like you're splicing yourself constantly. Like you're becoming. There's a level of addiction there. Yeah, because you have to like. You constantly need to be putting Eve into your body so you can keep fighting to survive. Right. We didn't even mention Eve, the the, the, the substance that you need to continue to inject yourself it's a with consumable so you can keep that, using the powers. Exactly. Yeah. And but all that stuff, like, that's mana. You know, right. any video game has had mana magic. before. You need yeah. it for your magic, but, like, that has a narrative reason to be what it is. And mm-hmm. it's not saying that, you know, there are narrative reasons for those things to work. Yeah. But I think all those things really it's cool come when together it does it. in yeah. a package really nicely. The, the game, yeah, between like, you know, environmental storytelling, the storytelling you get from just mechanics, 
and then just like kind of the little like kind of the narrative like beat by beat linear story that's happening mm-hmm. it is just such a tight cohesive experience that yeah. like you know not a lot of games can do because there's a lot of tropes important to video games that can sometimes break narratives mm-hmm. um and this game does actually suffer from one of those well, things we'll actually come let's let's take a quick break yes. and then uh we'll talk we'll, more we'll about probably that. talk about some of those those tropes and how i'm sure we'll go back to some, some of the later. faults it's not a perfect game it's not a perfect game. Not a perfect game at all. But also, um, like, you know, playing it over, you know, 10 years later, it's aged. It has aged, but I would say it still holds up. But let's take a break and come yes, back to that. I'm down. All right. We'll be right back. Back in the second half of this Bioshock talking simulator. Yay. Hey, Did you say hot takes? No, no. I, I was almost to... said it in my head. I was like, "Yes, Bioshock Hot Takes." Nope. Not I have, quite. I've got the correct show in mind here. I'm very happy that we're finally starting this voyage. It's very, of, very of good. Talking simulators, and uh, I can't wait until you know we're going to E3 and doing panels of packs and you know all that. Yeah, it's gonna be we're really gonna blow. Up I'm after sure it's this. just around the corner. Yep. Um, but we're back talking more about Bioshock. First half, we hit a lot of the story beats and a lot of the environmental story beats. Yeah. Um, Talk about player agency, talk about the philosophy of Bioshock. There's a lot to talk about with Bioshock. Yeah, we can only really touch so much of the surface of this game. I think that's kind of the point, is how much story they have crammed into the walls of Rapture here in Bioshock. Um, But one thing that we didn't talk so much about, which is also important to this discussion, I think, is the actual mechanics of what you're doing. Gameplay. Gameplay. Yeah. So... Why don't you talk a little bit, Robbie, about about some of the gameplay aspects that you enjoyed the most? Things that I enjoyed? Yeah. I, think, I mean, we'll start there. Sure. Like, I think it'll come from there. I think, like, the most fun way to kind of jump off this, like, topic is, like, what's your favorite plasmid? Yeah. Or what's your favorite wombo combo? Wombo combo. Okay. You know? Yeah. For me, favorite plasmid has to be, I love the telekinesis because it's just the gravity gun from mm-hmm. Half-Life. But, like, I played through the first part of that game only using telekinesis at one point. Yeah. Where I would just, like, you know, just pick up bodies on fire and be like, I'm throwing that at you. Yeah. And they, it'd be super powerful, especially if you upgrade it, like, early enough. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite plasmid. My favorite wombo combo. Um, I was always a fan of just kind of the electric bolt and wrench. Yeah. I mean, that's it's the classic. first, the, the, the very first plasmid you get is the electric bolt. Right. And that's the first time that you inject the plasmid into yourself and you go through this process of like your genes changing and you get sick and you fall over and stuff and you pass out. And that's the first time you see a big daddy as well. Right. Because they like walk past you. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I use that electric bolt a lot over the course of the game. That was probably my go to. And even the wrench as well. Like I. If you upgrade your wrench, you're kind of like you kind of plow through people. Yeah. Well, you can't upgrade your wrench, but you can upgrade. Well, you get the plasmids that make your like melee damage better. Yes. Right. And I smacked a lot of. I electrocuted a lot of people and then smacked them with my wrench. Late game, I did. I had a fully upgraded freeze blast. Yeah. So I did a lot of freeze bang, but you don't get any of the loot from their bodies. You can't loot people. So that's another part of the game that's. I mean, this is like. Bioshock is, at its core, a first-person shooter, right. but I think part of the thing that makes it interesting, you know, to bring this back to narrative as yeah. well, is there is 
this idea of changing yourself over the course of the game, and that introduces a lot of RPG mechanics. Right. And, like, certain situations call for certain kind of builds to your character. Yeah. We were also never... The cool thing about Bioshock is that you're not really locked into a build. It's flexible. You can always swap out. And that's another cool part of the gameplay is there are vending machines all over. The, the game has an economy the, that yeah. you have to engage with. Yeah. It's impossible not to engage with the economy. And I think it's actually pretty interesting that the economy does feel like it matters. Because I think in a lot of games you just pretty much get to a certain point where you have so much money that the economy is more or less yeah. trivial. I mean, the ability to hack and uh, because the game's like a survival horror game that usually one of the uh, one of the pillars of a survival horror game is that you're kind of like low on resources all yeah. the time. So yeah. like, you know. You do feel like that in Bioshock. By the end of, it kind of like, the end of Bioshock, I've said before to Jack in private and I'll say it now, the end of Bioshock is a bit of a slog. A little bit. Um, Before we get there, let's talk more about the not sloggy parts. Right, but I just, I kind of mean like, you know, when you're running out of ammo, there's like a sense of the scarcity of ammo and all of your shots counting or having to kind of like fight enemies creatively mm -hmm. is the best part of Bioshock yeah, gameplay-wise. Yeah, well, it, it makes it feel like you are the underdog in the situation and the fights yeah. are hard. I, I played it on normal difficulty uh, all the way through. Right. But if you, especially if you ramp it up to hard, which... Not my bag at all, especially playing it the second time. Uh, yeah, just trying to get well, through it. we're just trying to play the story at that point. Um, but you really do. There's there's this kind of um, flexibility between just straight up shooting, mm -hmm. using your plasmids, and hacking. I think right. are really like kind of the three pillars of the combat. But then also like you know your uh, yeah, those are the three pillars of combat, and then like certain um, tonics that you get. Which uh, can enhance you in different ways. Can yeah. make certain plasmas stronger or make you like more adept at hacking. Right. You kind of build in more that health direction. Or right. more armor mm -hmm. makes you better at hacking. Yeah. It's kind of it, the weird thing though is like you know, because the game is not an open world game, it's kind of hard to pre build for scenarios because you don't really know yeah. what you're kind of going to run into. I think more so you can just kind of build to your play style, to what right. you prefer. Like I, I did a lot of hacking. In the game, I I did I, my first leg. My second leg, I kind of started beelining through. Yeah, I took the time. I played that Pipe Dreams mini game a lot. I think you know what I was thinking. I really want that to be an iPhone game. That's just the pipe. Uh that's it's a game. Uh, it was a game like that whole hacking it mini was game a thing before. Is a is a game called Pipe Dreams. Oh, um, that I'm sure there's. There's that kind of thing we'll on uh, after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, they took it from like an old classic game. It's right. an it's an old one, but the idea of just like changing the the, the pipes yeah. so that you get a flow going. Did uh, you like use a lot of tonics to make hacking like at easy yeah. level? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when did. you play at a hard level, it's not fun. Yeah, I did Hacker's Delight. Um, I had a tonic that slowed down the flow. Right. Um, I had a tonic that give you health when you successfully you do a successfully hacked. hack. Mm -hmm. Um, I had ones that made hacking easier by removing sort of the bad tiles in there. Right. Um, so I did a lot of, of a lot of electrocuting like the security cameras and the turrets and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is also how, you know, the, we talked before about the big daddies and how they purposefully made the big daddy fights hard. Right. So that was like a big part of it. It gave. kind of had to die in really difficult fights, which is why Vita chambers are always so close by. Yeah, but it break if the you flow of if play. you um if you just you know use you you have health uh, resources like a finite right. amount of health 
resources health that you kits, use. basically. You lose yeah. your health really quickly. You take a lot of damage. That's why, like, sometimes it's not worth it to heal. It's kind of just like, I'd rather just die. Die and you know, get out of the situation. Kind of, yeah, respawn. Um, yes. But you could get, you can get fucked sometimes if you have no money and you're out of health. There are times where you feel like a, a splicer on the streets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're in dire straits there. Yeah. Um, but I used a lot of instances where I was hacking the cameras and the turrets and stuff and then like luring big daddies into rooms that I had hacked turrets and stuff so yeah. that like they we kind of did care the fighting of it. for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of like... I used Enrage. I also use a lot of uh, the, the big daddy hypnotizer to take yes. out a lot of splicers. There is a lot of, uh, of like emergent kind of gameplay that happens there because of the systems that they made. Yeah. Um, there was one instance... So when you're in... One of my favorite places mechanically is Sander Cohen's area. Oh, yeah. I think that's probably my favorite segment in the whole game. I think that's mine as well. As far as like a gameplay. Yeah, because like the, the narrative's like kind of a little more focused at that point. Yeah. And it's like tighter and like also kind of... It also <clears throat> feels isolated from the rest of the story because yeah. they Sander Cohen is this... Uh, he was a musician, um, artist... In Rapture, and he's kind of like the art. He's like the avant-garde artist of Rapture, yeah, but he, yeah. he represents, you know, he he represents, he represents art, the art in, exactly. in Rapture because yeah. Rapture is a place where you know culture can be unhinged, right? As much as you need kind of like medicine, and en- or you know industrial engineering, uh, science, science. You also yeah. you know art is a big part of that as well. Yes, it's part of the cultural right. part of it, and we I don't think we've mentioned this at this point, but a lot of Rapture is. Designed after Art Deco, which also right. goes hand in hand with the Ayn Rand kind of objectivism. Yeah. Fortunately, Art Deco is really cool. It looks fucking cool. Yeah. I know, like that 50s, 60s era, like it gives Bronze, it a very gold. much a, yeah. Yeah, a Gilded Age kind of yes. like vibe to it. Absolutely. Um, but that definitely is most apparent in Sandra Cohen's mm, section, um, yeah. Fort Frolic, it's called, um, where it is this like extravagant everybody's wearing these masks yeah and you see splicers even before you get there wearing like the rabbit masks and stuff Mm. so it kind of seeds like the idea that this is all part of like this place that already exists it's not just this isolated level but you get there and sander cohen is this artist who's lost his mind and gets his his thrills by torturing people the first time you you get introduced to sander cohen you see somebody strapped to a piano mm-hmm. and he's playing the piano and Sander Cohen is screaming at him to play it perfect and, and the guy's like oh fuck you just release me and then he explodes <laughs> yeah and you take a picture of the guy with the camera that you get another aspect of the, the gameplay and then yeah. Sander <clears throat> Cohen makes you put it on this like big statue this like to grotesque it, yeah. macabre st- statue where you're you're killing people that Sander Cohen is unhappy with yeah Failed artists and the like, and then you're another kind of example of like you know player agency kind of being stripped away from you. You know, right? You can't progress unless you do. do you you know, go murder these people. You're for a hitman, this man, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of those people, uh, I wrote down his name because I knew I was not going to remember it. Um, oh, Hector Rodriguez was one of the people that you have to go kill, and he is. He's a split one of the splicers that has like a box of grenades that like throws oh, grenades. Grenade splicer, yeah. And when you see him, he immediately bolts, and you have to like chase him down. Right. And he's like throwing the grenades behind him, mm-hmm. and so you're chasing him down. So you can tell. I mean, I guess you would tell Kinesis to throw him at him if you can. You could, but he like runs and he runs. Yeah, fast. I think you have to chase him into that room that's filled with water. Right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, but at that part of the game, I had used the hypnotized Big Daddy. <clears throat> yeah. So I had a Big Daddy rolling with me. Sick. So when we went into the room and Hector bolted, the Big Daddy took off after him. And it was one of the Big Daddies with the uh, the like the bouncer ones that oh, was okay. mostly melee. Mm-hmm. So it hits him with the big um, drill. And Hector bolts. And the Big Daddy goes after him. And I guess because of the way the game engine worked, in order for the Big Daddy to catch up to Hector Rodriguez, it made the Big Daddy run really, really fast. So weird. it this, I've like, never, that's so weird. It created this like Looney Tunes-esque scenario <laughs> where Hector is just <laughs> flying down the hallways <laughs> mm-hmm. and the Big Daddy is just chasing Faster after him than you've ever and seen just ripping at him with his drill. And I'm like trying to catch up to these two. Yeah. And I, I think it was like the upgraded one that I had, the hypnotized Big, Big Daddy. Daddy. So too. it lasts yeah. a while. Right. And he just, the Big Daddy is just chasing Hector Rodriguez like in a loop around Fort Frolic and I'm like too slow to even catch up yeah. because it felt also like Hector got faster and the big, because the oh, big daddy was chasing him. like chasing so him. they are like light speed running down these corridors <laughs> it was hysterical that is very funny but it's kind of you know that sort of scenario is something that because BioShock has all these systems that work with each other yeah and this AI that's like reacting to you and these plasmids that you have at your disposal and also like all the hacking stuff. There's another example where I had um, hacked. Um, what moment was this? I had hacked some like any time I go through the level, I just hack all the cameras and stuff. Yeah. So I think it was a moment uh, later in the game where like something there's like a narrative bit going on. It might have been the Sander Cohen part where he actually comes out. Right. Um, I guess somebody had. Um, triggered like a, a an enemy had respawned like somewhere else in the level mm-hmm. and had triggered the alarm like the security okay. camera so sander cohen is like coming out or explaining something and the the alarm is going off and you can just hear like gunshots someone just getting murdered of somewhere. somebody getting murdered yeah. by the security cameras in the distance so like there's all this like weird you know funny little little stories that emerge like from playing in the, game the game itself yeah yeah i didn't have too many of that this time playing around but uh i was really kind of trying to beeline it for like the main story but i also that wasn't really my my type of play necessarily yeah i was more of kind of like uh like hit him hard and fast i didn't do a lot of hacking um besides like trying to get like some machines to be like cheaper prices and stuff like that yeah yeah that's kind of the, the most i did the vending machines to be cheaper right mm-hmm. um yeah, other than that, I kind of played. I kind of played pretty like fast and headstrong. Yeah, I used a lot. I was using a lot of gunplay for most of the game. So like, I had like a fully upgraded Tommy gun. I also really shout out to the crossbow. I think the crossbow, crossbow is, is very good. Sick. Most of the, the big daddies that I took down, were, the crossbow is like just so crossbow. OP. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Also, if you like score a headshot with that thing, is is nice. Yeah, is nice. And it's good with the big daddies because they're a big target. They're hard to miss. Yeah, yeah. I also use I use like the napalm a lot for them too. Yeah, like the, the flamethrower. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that's cool about it is that it it lets you you know kind of create your own gameplay style. Yeah, I don't think that there's one like I remember someone in like one games someone in games media where like when the Bioshock collection came out they were just like play Bioshock but don't even use guns like use your wrench and use your plasmids and play that way. I'm yeah. like that is one way to do it. Yeah, but, like. The guns are cool. And the that guns game. are also cool. Yeah, like 
Got a little annoyed with the pistol by the end of the game by how little damage it was doing, even when it was fully upgraded. Even, or even if you had like the anti-personnel ammo. That, yeah. well, I, what I don't like about the last part of the game is like, if you haven't been taking pictures of splicers the entire time, yeah, they're so they have a lot of health. Powerful, yeah, they're like bullet sponges, and it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of game breaking. Um, I think the cool part of Bioshock is that the splicers just feel like crazy people. They don't feel like monsters. Yeah. And, you know, in the earlier parts of the game, like, you could pop someone with, like, two pistol shots. And it kind of feels a little more realistic. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in making combat harder by just making enemies stronger. Or having more health. Or having more health, realistically. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, so I think that's kind of, like, that's part of, you know, again, we'll talk more about it later. But that's one of the things in the end of the game where I was just, like... I'd finally find a plentiful amount of ammo and I'd waste it on one you dude. just put it yeah, all into just one like, Oh, this is sick, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, that is kind of where the game breaks down for me is where it becomes very combat-focused. I think yeah. that's a problem I have with a lot of narrative games. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually mind it if the combat's like kind of good throughout, but I do think Bioshock's combat gets like a little it's ahead a of a little itself. dated at this point as well it's also a little dated and yeah. also they're trying to do so much with it with it not mm-hmm. just being shooting you know they're not just focusing on shooting yeah. they're also trying to incorporate plasmids and physics and hacking and yeah. all that stuff which I mean when you get to Bioshock 2 you're dual wielding your plasmids and which your is better it's, it makes more sense yeah. instead of kind of like having a swap back and forth between the two yeah and infinite I think feels for the problems that Infinite has, it feels like a Call of Duty game. Right? Yeah, it has. A, yeah. It feels it's a better shooter at the very least, which is kind of like a detriment to like its overall gameplay. I think. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think I have, to, still, I have to go back and play it. I think. I yeah. think that um, again, we're not gonna really talk about Bioshock Infinite because we're already there is already a lot to talk about just in Bioshock One, right? But Infinite also crafts a, a sense of place that is. To me, not as striking as Rapture. Like, Rapture is yeah. something really special. It's different. It's cool. Columbia is a very interesting sense of place as well. And yeah. the, the kind of ideas, the philosophies that they're, that they're tackling with Columbia, with American exceptional, exceptionalism and, and religion, mm-hmm. um, are also interesting in their own way. Sure. Um, we've talked a little bit about, like, the again in private just about kind of the class warfare that's going on there that they they touch on in bioshock yeah but they're kind of like everyone's bad yeah i don't know (laughs) well i mean i guess you could say in um in bioshock that you know fontaine he is the leader of the kind of upper or lower class rising up against the bourgeoisie but Mm -hmm. they're all bad but bioshock infinite is very much like oh these radicals are the, these like oppressed because Bioshock, Bioshock has, deals a lot with yeah. like they're very explicit with their like they're dealing with race you know with the opening scene with yeah. the, the biracial couple mm-hmm. um, but again before we get too deep into right. that maybe we'll talk about Bioshock Infinite another day maybe worth it it's been a long time since I played through that I kind of want I, when I first played Bioshock Infinite I was a little dis- I was pretty disappointed by it not narratively but I got to the end of it and I was just like huh Wait this long for this? Yeah, but I also think it's trying uh, to pull the same p- tricks. As yeah, Bioshock. I do think it's big twist is cool, but it's kind of, you kind of knew it was going to have to have one. Yes, but then the game also meta talks about that as well. Yeah, it kind of deals with that idea of player agency in a different way. Yeah, yeah, kind of like or uh, the lack thereof. Yeah. I think also like kind of like developer agency, like having to kind of make the same game twice, pull yeah. out the same tricks. Yeah, you know. Yeah, maybe it'll be an interesting conversation to talk about it. Not right away. Not not now. We're going to focus on just Bioshock 1 for now. For sure. Um, 
Did you have more stuff that you wanted to talk about with the gameplay? Uh, I've kind of made it through my notes here, to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, gameplay-wise, uh, I really... You know, I enjoy when I was like last year when I was like first like really starting to play the game again. Yeah, I was having a really good time playing it. Like once everything kind of clicked for me, and I kind of felt like I was back in two thousand seven playing games like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the game didn't feel as dated. If anything, it kind of felt like modernized in a way. And I was like, this game still feels really good. Yeah, and a lot of these mechanics really work. But I think that like it's just after the would you kindly part. Yeah, the game kind of just is not as fun it's just not as fun it, because it like does kind of grind to yeah because it, it, it's like a it's like a bunch of because the whole the game goes through this whole thing being like the lack of player agency now and you never like you never seize control of what you're doing no i well i mean know? and that might be the point as well fontaine does kind of um once he he flips to atlas basically no, other, other way around uh, sorry yeah. once atlas flips to fontaine after the would you kindly moment, which yeah. is kind of in the back half of the second act, I would say more or less of the story. Uh, when he flips the font pain after would you kindly after well, yeah one once you kill Andrew Ryan and right. Atlas says haha I, I was Fontaine yeah. the whole time. Um, you could I mean you if you read a plot synopsis of this game yeah there is a lot leading up to the would you kindly moment and then not and a then, ton after and then afterwards it's like and then you help tenenbaum um save some little, little sisters and you go kill fontaine and like yeah. that's pretty much the rest well, they of make the it game. like two or three hours long and it's a it's a lot but that is maybe one of the faults of storytelling in games yeah and, and i think that's an interesting conversation as well to have because at the end of the day the expectation of players especially coming out of a triple a game and and from a studio that is being controlled by a publisher, yeah, you need to create something that has value for the player, and that's also kind of a tricky story as well because yeah, the player ultimately is going to spend sixty dollars on this game, right, and expects a certain length of game. You know, you can't have. I think in two thousand seven, it was a bit of a different story than it is now. Because now the conversation is starting to change. Yeah, um, I think I think it really with the uh, uh, order eighteen seventy six or whatever. No, <laughs> it's not that. But you know what I'm talking about? The order eighteen seventy six, right? Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, if I just guess that out of my ass, that's great. But yeah. um, you know, that's a game that I think that's a weird pull. So it's a weird pull because you know the game was really criticized for not being like super amazing, but it's really short. Right. And a lot of people were just like, this game's only six hours long. I paid $60 for it. Right. But and I it's think, a single player only game. But like, you know, during the time of kind of like games media, like some people were just like, well, like I'm okay with a really tight six hour experience. Yeah. For me as a player, for me as, as someone who games, uh, I would like my, I, I do a lot of research into what I'm going to buy anyway. Sure. So if like, you know, we are informed consumers. Exactly. If there's a six hour experience at $60 that people are saying is worth that $60, I, I still may not jump into it. But you know, there's but telltale it, games it, that are 20 bucks and give you a lot more narrative, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, that is a tricky sort of value proposition. Proposition. Yeah. And at my stage of life right now, like I, you know, both of us have full time jobs. Right. We work a lot, and we have the stuff going on with Story Screen as well. Mm-hmm. It takes up a good amount of our time. Yeah, in a lot of cases, our time to actually sit down and play video games is fairly limited. So 
I understand the value, the intrinsic value of, you know, a hundred plus hour RPG that you're yeah. paying 60 bucks for and you can play practically forever. But sometimes I just want an experience that I can sit down and, and finish and get the yeah. whole experience. And in a lot of cases, you know, the value, the weighted value between time and money becomes a consideration yeah. that was not a factor when I was in high school, like when I was playing Bioshock. You could play Bioshock forever. And like, I remember, well, I feel like I, I mean, you could play for about 15 to I 20 guess, hours. I guess what I was saying, like, I think in, I think in high school, I kind of thought Bioshock was a shorter game. Uh, yeah. It's, and a, now, it's about a 15 to 20 hour game. And you think I about it say. now, like, you know, we're, it's not an open world game. It's a linear single story experience it's kind of on the long side on yeah. average for games like that definitely we don't really get games like bioshock too often anymore i mean i think this year a linear narrative game that i can think of is god of war and it's a very different monster from bioshock but still. that's a 30 40 hour game and i consider yeah. that pretty lengthy as well i consider it very lengthy but, um, uh, but especially shooters you know you don't usually yeah. most shooter campaigns are i mean the doom campaign is what like Maybe, Maybe 10 hours, 10 hours yeah. long. If, yeah, you, if you look for about all the stuff. But I mean, going back and playing through Bioshock again now as an adult for this podcast, uh, I kind of, and that's kind of what took so long to get here yeah. is that it's, you know, a 20 hour game takes a certain amount of dedication to get there. Right. Um, especially when you only have, you know, an hour or so. Also, syncing up finishing at the same time is a lot harder of was an tricky. endeavor than yeah. I thought. We're here. Yeah. We did it. We figured it out. Um, but yeah, I do think that is an interesting idea in that it does feel like the third act of that game was maybe padded out a little bit. Like the, For sure. the amount of story kind of thins out in that last section of the game. All the things that we really liked about the narrative, we got by the end of Would You Kindly. More or less. That's yeah. the, everything after that. Like maybe there's some audio logs that are really cool. You do spend some more time with... Tenenbaum. Tenenbaum. And you get to more see Fontaine story as a of, yeah, yeah, Fontaine. And and I like the idea that, you know, Fontaine comments, and you this is kind of what got us into talking about this in the first place. You're At that point, you just switch from Atlas being kind of the, the voice in your ear to Tenenbaum being right. the voice in your ear. And Fontaine is using his influence on you, even though the hypnosis of Would You Kindly is broken. Right. He can still take away some of your health, and mm-hmm. that becomes a mechanical thing. Because he has certain trigger words that, like, will drain you. Drain and then he you. also has, he makes your plasmids kind of out of whack. Right, so you go on a fetch quest to get a, a serum to stop his influence over you, so it stops draining your health. Yeah. And then that leads to your plasmids being scrambled. You have I to could get another see, serum. I could see on paper, in design sense, that that is... Intrinsically, intrinsically, interesting enough to like (laughs) keep you doing, like keep you going. Yeah, Yeah. where it's just like I have to undo these things to my character. But at that point, you're like, I think the end, the would you kindly uh, narrative device disconnects you so hard. Yeah, they kind of shut their hand. Yeah, that like it's hard to keep playing the game and even care like. All right, why the fuck are you draining my health? Like, why are you? Yeah. Like, why are my plasmas not working? Like, well, at that point, you're kind of in, and you have to get out. Right. Yeah. Um. And that leads you to you're fighting like harder splicers in these parts of the games, mm-hmm. and your health sucks. And like, there's a lot of security cameras. There's a lot of security cameras. A and lot of. Turrets. And I get that it's like the game kind of being like you're in the late game, so it's kind of on hard mode. But like, they don't. They. This is not a design philosophy that is around anymore where they yeah. change like usually games have now been criticized enough because they've done it enough times where when the last part of your game 
throws some like really hey here's a mechanic you've never used before or here's like a stipulation that's never affected your character now you're going to do it people are not into that yeah i guess so i think uh, you know mechanically they're just trying to introduce they're trying to like you know change switch it stakes. up a little bit yeah or change the pace a sure. little bit um but i do agree that at a certain point it it feels like they're padding it out with more shooty shooty just and yeah. they've run out of story story Right. And I really, I'm here for the story, story bit. Agreed. Um, which is, you know, where the interesting conversation about the value proposition between yeah. time and money kind of comes in. I but mean, I think in 2007, Bioshock was certainly worth $60 when it released. And absolutely. I think that, and I think that remaster is definitely worth the $30 I got yeah. it for. Yeah, I mean, you could probably get it for a lot cheaper now because it's been out for a while. Yeah. But, um, you know, the 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 third act, or the, yeah, the final act of Bioshock is yeah. for sure the weakest absolutely um, um and i think it's like you know it's as much as the would you kindly moment is like is such a high, high for the yeah, medium yeah absolutely. the last part of that game is like such a like a low, oh low. fuck like yeah and like you know i bioshock and um arkham asylum remind me a lot of each other because yeah. like arkham asylum is like such an amazing core uh metroidvania batman experience that we've never gotten before it did a superhero game in a way that has never never been done, been done. and now, now we've seen a lot of them kind of done like that yep. which more power to them but uh the hey, end looking forward to that spider-man hey but you know at the end of batman uh arkham asylum you the joker spoiler get, spoiler the joker gets on bane steroids you fight a big boss fight joker joker and it's yeah. like not interesting at all a muscly joker kind of defeats the whole purpose of, of the, Joker the Joker character. Yeah. Um, and this kind of does the same thing. Like Fontaine injects himself with all the atom. He puts all the atom in his body <laughs> and, and he, then he, he it's funny because he looks like the Atlas shrugged like trophy yes, statue thing. Yes. Which is I point. mean that's kind of yeah. you know a little a neat little wink yeah. and nod. There is actually that's that um, statue in the game of the Atlas holding up the earth from like Rockefeller yeah. Center and that was one of the things that Ken Levine said Saw, inspired him. Right. Yeah. Um, and you just it's just a boss fight where you just have to shoot him a bunch, and yeah. you harvest the atom out of him. You take a little. I dropped that shit down to easy because I was not having fun. Oh, dude, I beat that thing. So, did you have a tough time with that? Uh, I think because I was like, you know, when like you turn your brain off and you're just like, I just want this to be. You done. just want it to be done. Yeah, that's yeah. where I was at. I wasn't circle playing. strafe, dude. I circle strafed and I just kind of zapped him and uh, just took out my machine gun and circle strafed and and just. Pump, yeah. pump them full of lead which is like you know what we've been talking about about the flexible nature of the design philosophy I guess the way so. you build your character but even that, that is the that is not a way to play that game because yeah. that's the thing that if if the last boss fight of Bioshock is a circle strafe shoot em up that's not that's not it, what the game's yeah, been no. for the past like 14 hours you know yeah. and that might not be the way you spec your character exactly you might be someone who's like it, I'm an adept hacker yeah. This is not going to help me right There's now. There's no opportunity to like... I mean, they do send out some like little security drones. But it, like, I did wind up hacking actually and like... Does, it, does the game time stop when you get into hacking? Yes. That's silly. Yeah. But I guess good. Yeah. But yeah. it needs to. Otherwise... You're, you're going to get shot. Yeah. Um. So, it yeah. it totally, And Ken Levine himself in that same director's cut kind of interview yeah. was like, we didn't... We we I've told myself we're not going to do boss fights, and then we keep coming back to these boss fights, and like they just don't. I think Bioshock Infinite did a little bit better of a job because they had big. They made fights. a big like warfare. The last fight was like a you, big open fight, and there's yeah. turrets, and there's people coming out, and there's the you have control over the songbird. Infinite yeah. had more of the um, 
uh, swinging from the um, the, the rail fight, system. The fights kind are of way bigger. Whereas you know in Bioshock, like your fights are you versus two or three characters at most in a small yeah, room. Yeah. Infinite's kind of like you know you're you're Much fighting like waves of yeah. people or like big groups of people, which you know, not as into that myself because I thought there was kind of less strategy involved it feels like you're just murdering hundreds and hundreds of people which is yeah if we want to talk about narrative in, in video games the big big buzzword ludo narrative dissonance which mm-hmm. is probably something we'll mention often on the show but probably. the idea of the, the the kind of hypocrisy between your player character being a good guy or having objectives that are different than just mass murdering people and yeah. the game being a video game that you Usually, the only way to interact with people in video games is to violent. shoot yeah. them with bullets. Um, you're just murdering like droves and droves and droves of people. Yeah. I mean, like you know, in Bioshock, you're you're like fighting all these like crazy drug monsters, right. and like, but they are people. They are people. Yeah. But like, and they I are say, attacking but, you. But it's also not. It doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like droves and droves. No, it feels mm-hmm. a little more. It's it's tight, smaller which scope, I, I yeah. like that. It almost. It kind of almost reminds me of like a, a like an RPG with random encounters, and you like ran into an enemy, and now there's like it's like you versus two dudes. And I will say, um, I th- a cool thing that Bioshock does in regards to the splicers, ex- it, um, especially is they're constantly talking. Yeah, when you're not when you're not fighting them, they're constantly they'll like talk to themselves or they'll sing songs. To or do you, yeah. you remember the one splicer lady who's like, uh, you see her shadow and she's talking to like a baby crib? That's the first one. That's like, is that the first one? No, yeah. well, that's the first gun that you get in the game. Oh, because there's like a pistol in there, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the first time you get a pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, is yeah, a splicer like talking to this this baby carriage and you see her. It's very like Rosemary's Baby, right. the silhouette of her mm-hmm. on the wall, and she has a gun in her in her carriage. Yeah. But there's a lot of moments like that where you come upon splicers that are like talking to themselves and they like are constantly chattering and they it feels like they have they are broken people in a way. Yeah. Uh, and they're not just monsters. They are people who are, you know, have gotten so to this far point. gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because of of, you know, an experience that they had. They're not just making like guttural noises and stuff. Yeah. Like there there's a humanity in there. Yeah. It's sure. it's very far gone, but it's still but there. But it's there. Yeah. Um and the same with, you know, continuing to talk about the environmental storytelling aspect of it. There are so many like tableaus of of people that are dead mm-hmm. that are set up and that's kinda like going back to the um um Jasmine Jolene, your mother kind of thing. You just find her dead body and you right. find like the audio log and by you kind her of figure and you out, kind like of that's figure her. out what happened to her. Mm-hmm. There's so much of that in the environment where you just come upon like people that have killed themselves or, yeah. or like, you know, little like every, there's so much detail in the environment yeah. there that really like, like just makes Rapture feel like a, have a strong sense it, of place. It ironically feels alive. Yes. You know, while it's like very kind of much, you know, a, a city on, on the edge of ruin. It, it feels like this This was, this is a place that is is dripping with character and dripping with atmosphere. I've, this is not the first time I've said this on this podcast, but like there's so much story in the walls of yeah. this place. And come back to what you said of Rapture being the main character. The main character. Yeah. It's, it's really like you're exploring this place and learning more and more about this place. I think it's an interesting strategy to, you know, shift the focus from telling a narrative that has a singular protagonist, but instead telling a narrative where 
the world is the story. And yeah. like, why are we here? And why is this place like this? Well, it's a very specific choice as well in Bioshock having a silent protagonist. Right. You as the player character, you're really just there to observe yeah. and to do what you're told. You're as much as part of the walls of Rapture as anyone else is. Well, you you're know, as you, much you're a camera Andrew on Ryan. a swivel. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, I mean, like, you With know, you're, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, you are, you, you're, you're Fontaine, you're Andrew Ryan's illegitimate son, you're Fontaine's kind of bioengineered son in a way. Which, you know, you're only four years old. Yeah, you're born in. You're born as like a muscular, like like little boy. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, a audio log that says like the kid is you, fucking ugly. You're yeah. a, a year old, but you have like the muscle structure of, of like, like a nineteen year old boy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's so much in this yeah. game. And I mean, there's so it's it's so rich. Thick. Yeah. She thick. She thick. She thick. But I also think that it's. It's crazy, and then like even when you beat like the the Fontaine boss fight, like the the end cutscene of the game, Ugh. good or bad, is a minute long, it's, and then credits. It and just it's, feels kind of crazy. It feels very rushed. It's very rushed. It's it very, very like rushed. it's anticlimactic. Even if you get the good one, it's like, well, I'm glad I helped those little girls out, but which goes back you know. to the but what but what kind of cathartic ending would you want in a game like that? You know, like what endings are really hard. Endings are really hard. And there's no ending in Bioshock that could have come close to Would You Kindly. Yeah, By you're setting, making a case that that would be the end of the game. I think that it, I think narratively that is the end of the game. Yeah. Everything after that is kind of backstory. Kind of, it's just structured in a way where it happens after more mechanic focused. I mean, we haven't even talked about how you have to make yourself a big daddy, which yeah. is kind of like it's kind of funny because you are a big daddy in Bioshock Two, right? Yeah, so it's like kind of funny in that but sense. You kind of get to. Your objective is to go kill Fontaine so you yeah. can escape because Fontaine is in control of Rapture at this point. You get to a locked door and you've got Tenenbaum on the phone and Tenenbaum's like, well, oh, this door's locked. Well, I guess you got to become a big daddy now. Like, what? Weird. Yeah. And also, like, do you remember the most fucked up part of being the big daddy is when you have to get your voice box removed? Yeah, you have to get your voice box changed so you make the, like, whale sound. Yeah, I'm just like, there's no easier way to do that. And Fontaine's on the phone like, you know this, you can't reverse this, right? Yeah, you're gonna have to wear those dumb boots forever. Even though in the good ending, when you go up, you, like, live... Uh, out the rest that of your life. It doesn't really make sense because, like, <laughs> unless Tenenbaum's like, yeah, I can reverse it. No, you uh, like go and you raise five of the little sisters, little sisters as, and as your die. children, and they get married and they're at the side of your, the, your deathbed. Your deathbed, which is the ending cutscene if you get the good ending. But I guess the rest of your life you're just like, mm-hmm. you're the biggest daddy. Well, they probably feel mm-hmm. very soothed by that. I guess as weird. It's probably hard to. What kind of life do they fucking lead? It's probably hard to go. What date do you go on where the guy's just like, hey, so like, where'd you grow up? It's like, I was in an underwater city where I was spitting up this fucking weird chemical that gave people superpowers. And then this guy who's not my dad uh, became a really big monster, saved me and my sisters. And now. Also, by the way, I'm five years old. I'm five years old. (laughs) This is a weird bar. It's weird. (laughs) But also, by the way, all my memories were genetically implanted. Yeah. Uh, So, and I'm five years old. Sometimes I'm going to wake up in the night and try and put a pencil in your belly. Yep. That's what I do. Yep, and suck on the end of that pencil. Um, but yeah, and then the bad ending, if you do harvest any of the little sisters... If you like, harvest more than one, you get the bad yes, ending. Yes, more than one. Um, and the more... Which, the did more you have any you... little sisters die when you were doing the end bit? Trying to get, I had two die, and I'm just like, I think I'm a bad dad. You just feel like the worst person. Yeah, and like, and, and Tenenbaum's just like, 
All right, can you not let any of them die? She's so lackadaisical about Listen, being like... Listen, we're still going to finish the game. It's not going to have any real impact, but like you're going to feel like an asshole. Yeah, and it's just like, yo, I just let this like five-year-old girl get like killed by a drug addict. Yes. <laughs> like, it's kind of... Yes. There's a lot going on in the ending, because again, I think it is rushed, and they're just like, well, this mechanically makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But, it, it feels like they ran out of time, yeah. and I think they really were on a tight, tight crunch. I think also like the kind of... You know, the protector harvester aspect of the game is very interesting, but they never really capitalize on it later. And even though making you the protector, they don't make it any more mechanically interesting than just following someone around. Well, it becomes an escort mission. Yeah, which, which is, is like, like cardinal what? sin don't of any video game. Don't do an escort mission. No one at, likes it. By 2007, I think developers were just starting to realize not to do that anymore. Well, they made this one short enough, but still annoying. But it's still, and it like, Oh my god, the audio cues of the little sister just over and over again. Come on, Mr. Bubbles. Come on, Mr. Hurry Bubbles. Hurry up, Mr. Bubbles. I'm like, motherfucker, you're the one that's like walking, you're walking as mad slow as slow. possible. Like this. And then there's a part where you have to go into like the water and you walk even slower. Oh my god. And I'm just like, this is a whole... I was... The end of that game, I was so upset playing it. It's not the best. It's. I don't want to shit on Bioshock because it really is one of the best games of all time. But it's just kind of crazy, kind of the 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 disparity between like the majority of the game and that last part is like so wildly different. Well, it it and I guess this is something that is not necessarily exclusive to video games, but the idea of the studio or the producer from their kind of focus testing sort of idea of what makes a game good is like, oh, well, you can't end, end this game after 10 hours. It needs to be 15, 20 hours long yeah. because players are going to be upset or they're not going to rate the game as well if they finish it really quickly and the story is just over. So you got to pad it out with this extra gameplay. Right. And also you need to add... Ken Levine only wanted one ending at the end of the game. He never intended there to be two. That was something that also came really late. Right. Which shows it, it feels rushed. Yeah, it's super rushed. But it was something that came down from the publisher. Oh, you need to have two endings here. Yeah. I mean, in 2007, like there is a lot of focus on like uh, ch- players making choices. Right. And players having multiple endings. Not so much as like the heavy rain kind of way that kind of came a little bit later as its own thing but yep. like the idea of being like there's a good and a bad ending even like you know prince of persia the last prince of persia game uh after warrior within you know you have there's like you get to be the dark version of you or the light version of you yeah. and like you know that that stuff is very prominent in games it's, at that time it's it's very hard to do narrative choice in games and i think that's the cool thing about bioshock is because it it like it acknowledges that and it, it makes that kind of the meta storytelling yeah. with the would you kindly aspect that that no matter what your you choices you make in the game at the end of the day it's the developer that is actually making that path for you and i yeah. think some games have done you know you mentioned telltale games like mm-hmm. telltale kind of has the diamond structure yeah where you you make choices that kind of like fan out the by the end, you're kind of it. Kind of comes to funnel back yeah. to something. But yeah. the choices that you make are more interpersonal. Mass right. Effect does this really well too. Like by the end of Mass Effect, and that's a whole different can of worms. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you have you basically get to pick from three endings, but along the way, the interactions that you have with characters and the yeah. kind of like those choices that you make kind of flesh out the story yeah. in their own In Mass Effect 3, it's cool because, like, some of your earlier choices, like, do have, like, bigger impacts in yes. Mass Effect 3. Yes. 
Um, it does feel like they're going down the list of checking yeah. off all those. As some people complain about the Mass Effect 3 ending, and it's just like, yeah, but there's huge moments before the, before ending, the ending that you and did make. That's kind know? of the thing. Endings are hard. Are hard. And, like, you know, especially... They're hard in movies. They're hard in everything. Like, a lot of people are unsatisfied with endings to some of their favorite stuff ever. But, like, video games are especially I hard. I will defend to the, my death the ending of Lost. I'm sure you will. Um, and that's probably how my death will occur. Is <laughs> the end someone just snapping your neck. Yes. Um... But like you know, like I like say for example, and like you know, you and Birch have told me I'm wrong in this before, and you will continue to. I don't love the ending of Hannibal. Okay, yeah, I don't I, love. It's not. It's that. not for me. It's yeah. not for me. Uh, but the thing is, like, that doesn't mean I, I. That's one of my favorite shows ever. Right. You know, it doesn't take away from. It that. doesn't destroy the rest of the world. Absolutely not. Like yeah. the ending of Bioshock isn't so annoying or bad that I'm just like, man, I don't want to play that game. If I replay Bioshock. Which is not going to be soon. I'm going to play up until the Woody Kyla moment and, and I'll politely shut that game yeah. off. Yeah, I, and I mean, but the thing is, with an ending, that's the last note that it leaves, right? So if yeah. it doesn't ring out true, it's gonna kind of put a stink it, it on the end. Puts sour taste yeah, in your mouth, exactly. Yeah. But that's what you leave things with. But um, but we don't want to put a stink on the end of this podcast. Heck no. Um, Robbie, do you have any closing thoughts on on Bioshock? Let me uh, look through. I, I mean, I... I think I, I, we covered a lot of the bases. Yeah, we've hit on this a lot, but it's it really is, I think, the best game to start this series off on because yeah. it's doing so much narratively, and it kind of sets a very high bar for stuff, especially within the AAA space of, you know, a, a big budget, We didn't get a publisher. lot of games like this after Bioshock. It's not yeah. like we got... It's not like all of a sudden people were just like, let's inject some philosophy into our shooters. No, not too much, but... One of the cool things going forward is in more recent history with um, the explosion of indie development in in the game space. There are a lot of smaller stories where the you you're not tied to that studio aspect of this game needs to be fifteen to twenty hours long. There needs to be this much gameplay. You need to shoot people. Yeah, you have a lot more uh, flexible objective and flexible price points, which help you kind of pitch these games in different ways absolutely and that is something that we fully intend to explore that space and and the nice thing about getting bioshock we wanted to do bioshock first because it was important but now that we've gotten through bioshock it'll be a lot easier for us to do the show regularly because we can dive into some of those two hour much shorter experiences yeah. yes i we've got a long list of games that we're very we're waiting to play doing. night in the woods for so fucking long now night in the woods is a little longer so you're gonna want to well yeah Maybe we'll do I've Donut, actually we'll do Donut a, County I've or something. about 10 to 15 hours, I think. In Is it really Woods. that long? Yeah. And there's not a ton of like mechanics in that game, too. It's really. It's a lot of like talking. A, yeah. Um, I mean, I hear talking's good. There are some other big ones before we... Donut County... Well... We'll talk. That's um, another thing I wanted to leave with is uh, what we've we've been playing as of Recently. late. Yeah, to uh, just fully date this podcast. Sure. Uh, we're talking about a 10-year-old video game, so it's a little so bit timeless, is, but we're, we might as well date it for ourselves. Sure. Uh, well, what are you? What have you been playing lately? Jay? Well, so you spoiled it for me, but uh, I just yes. played through Donut County. I hear good is, things about it. It's here's a brief, a, here's a, treat, a treat. It is a treat. Yeah. yeah, it's a brief experience. It's only like a couple hours long, so you can get through it in one sitting. But I think it cost me like twelve bucks. Sure. And it's a game that's made by one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Ben Esposito, and it's just it does actually have a pretty interesting narrative structure. Um, but it's just very charming and yeah. very fun. It's kind of like. Sort of in the vein of a Katamari Damacy, where you're instead of like sucking things up and like, uh, or instead of rolling, rolling a ball and rolling things up, you're you are a hole and you suck things up 
in your hole and <laughs> as you suck things into your hole your hole gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. uh, so you can suck bigger and bigger things into your hole until you're eventually like putting massive houses and craters and stuff into your hole in the universe presumably uh-huh. not quite that big uh, but so not quite Katamari Katamari not Damasi quite Katamari big. Damasi where you're rolling a ball on the surface of the earth yeah um but uh I maybe we'll do an episode on that down the line but I could get in the meantime that. I would very much advise anybody who's looking into or looking to play something that's just a one sitting kind of thing very quirky very yeah. fun but I had a smile I laughed a lot right during that game very clever writing very good music yeah I, uh, myself, I've been playing, uh, so we're in, we're in a few days before, uh, Insomniac Spider-Man comes out. Yes. Which, uh, the review embargo is still up, so we don't know if it's good or not. Well, we'll decide it's, for ourselves if it's good, but, seems like well, good. the review embargo will be nice to know if it's, how if, good. if we should plunge, take the plunge on 60 bucks right away. Immediately. Yeah. Right. Which I'm, I, I have a feeling, Robbie, uh, you're going to buy that game no matter what. I do love me some Spider-Man. You do love some Spider-Man. I love me some Spider-Man. I think no matter what it is, I'll have a good time with it. But for me, uh, I've been playing... Uh, Fortnite came to Switch not too long ago, and it and it grabbed me by the balls. Uh. I've played so much of that, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've been playing a ton of Dead Cells. Yes. Also. Me the, as well. Yeah. The kind of gamer I am, uh, I love like good narrative experiences, but the, the kind of the candy that keeps me coming back is like... I like arcadey stuff. It's a I good like loop, stuff with man. like a solid a loop to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dead Cells is sick. There's uh, a good amount of inv- environmental, environmental storytelling. I was just about to say that. Cells, yeah. uh, there's a good amount of it in there. I don't know how good it is, but it's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's neat. I kind of wish the, the the story there is intriguing enough where I kind of like wish there was more. Yeah, but the gameplay really strings you along. So it fucking is tight. tight. So tight. That's, That's a, game, a quarter off that game. You know, we're talking about like narrative experiences that keep like like first or solo experiences that keep you coming back, and you've been playing The Witcher here and there lately. Uh, here and a lot of here, yeah, and, and here and also. there. Uh, and I was kind of saying like, yeah, I don't know if I have like a, a single player game that I kind of jump back into. Like that's when I always have a multiplayer squeeze at, at certain parts of my life, whether it was Overwatch for a time or Fortnite right now, or mm-hmm. you know, I even had a brief period with. What do I play? Who cares? Um, so yeah, I always have a multiplayer squeeze What's at, at the time. What's our, what was that? I can't remember. Oh, it was Overwatch. I, there was something between when I was playing. Oh, Splatoon two. Splatoon. 2. I put eighty hours into Splatoon. Yes, 2. that game fucking rocks. Um, so I always have like my side piece. I always have a multiplayer game around. Okay. Um, yeah, The Witcher is my right now. Like I can, I, f- I feel like I can play that game forever. Well, I think Dead Cells might be the one for me. Yeah. I can see myself like on a, on like a bored day being like oh, I kind of want to fuck around with Dead Cells yeah. a little bit and see if I can get like a good run. I really think you should try The Witcher. I think you would really like that game. You want to talk yeah. about? We could do. I could talk I for hours about oh, The Witcher. Kirsten and I actually because I when it was free on PSN I put it in my library, but Kirsten and I downloaded Days Gone last night. I think we're gonna play through some of that this week. Days Gone? Not Days Gone. I'm sorry. Um, until Dawn. Until Dawn. That's a fun one. I'm excited. That's, That's a another very fun one. one that could be on this episode. That one day. could be. That could be a potential. But uh, I think. I think me and my girlfriend are really gonna fucking dig that. So. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, we've got. Uh, there's a. There's a whole big wide world of games out there. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the first official episode of Talking Simulator. Yes. We will continue to do E3 episodes in the future when that comes around. And now you'll even know more about our. Opinions but now and stuff. it'll be. 
informed. We're, we're in it, man. We've yeah. started it. We've kicked it off. Man. We've always wanted to do video game uh, podcasts. Uh, we also, I mean, we love doing the movie stuff too, and that's our that's our main squeeze. But yeah, we but always, this is the long con. This is the long con to get into video we game do podcasts. video games forever. Yes. But, uh, you know, we really appreciate uh, anyone who's listening and any of your feedback. And if there's any games that, you know, our listeners really want us to experience yeah. and talk about, please t- tell us. Tell yes. us. Let us know. Voice your opinion and, and let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, this is not the only podcast we do for Story Screen. There's a big website out there called Story Spring. Story Springs. Wow. Story Springs. Story Springs. Story Screenbeacon.com is the website if you mm. prefer English and not uh, gibberish for your uh, typing in your URLs. Um, we do a Hot Takes podcast where we check out new movies. We do an Overdrinkers podcast where we check out old movies and we get drunk. Uh, we are starting a new series, a long-running series that will probably be up before this episode. I'd hope so. It's a Cooking with Quentin. Cooking with we, Quentin. It's a it's a mix of tasty with a, kind of a retrospective on Quentin Tarantino. We uh, make food dishes, and there's like dinner? a video that we make Otherwise. a dinner, uh, or you can call it dinner or brunch, depending on when we're making it. Um, but we Ooh, make we a should food. definitely do a brunch oh, episode. Fuck, yeah. oh, I'll just make mimosas. Fuck, yeah, and hammered. Dude. Hell yeah. Um, so we, there's like a tasty video of us making a food that pairs with a Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. We did Reservoir Dogs and, uh, our that very own Mike Burge, who is the host of that podcast, he made red apple tacos. So good. And they were fire. He made, Burge is a very good cook. He, he really, he went the distance. Yeah. He's made us food before, not just for, as, as a friend, not yeah. just as a podcast. Now boy. we have a business reason for him to make us food. Yeah. Which I'm down with because he yeah. kills it. <laughs> um, His ramen is to die for. Fuck yeah. All right. Thank you again for listening. Check out storyscreenbeacon.com. Check out story underscore screen underscore beacon on Instagram and check out story underscore screen on Twitter. And if you have any feedback for us, Please let us know. Find us there. I'm Jack Kolejewski. Robert Anderson. See you soon. Peace. Hey, you want to do a a podcast on Bioshock? Yeah, but next year. Okay. See you next year.